Okay, that was like shorter than I expected. <laughs> yeah, okay. I th- I think like we're going to finish up on the the gunfire well, scene. Well, you know, I thought about putting the gunfire scene in it. Spoiler alert. Those those of you chiming in to a review in a of the, of the first, first three minutes, minutes yeah. Timing in on this review and recap. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why you would actually listen to this review and recap if you hadn't seen it, right? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. But, like, I mean, there, there are people out there. You know what? There are people out there that don't mind spoilers. I know them. True. I've met them. True. True. They want to know what people think about things, and they go in and then they watch it and they try and yeah. catch it in the film. But what a way to open up a movie. Yeah. Just like how we have a perfect opening for this podcast. <laughs> What is up? I've noticed I've noticed you've shifted away from that as your intro music. Does that even have is that intro music anymore or are you now a quote start guy now? I think I'm a quote and then intro music Stark guy now, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, you've you because you've shifted as part of this. Uh, it's called series evolving to, to the starting. podcast. Oh yeah. damn! You're putting effort in. <laughs> Can't give the secret away, you know. Um, uh, yeah, nice, so nice. welcome back. We are back with the Legacy series review and recap. We are up to the sixth. I actually lost count. Is it the sixth Tarantino film? Uh, okay, wait. We got Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction. Uh, is it Kill Bill straight away? Uh, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, Kill Bill, and Death Proof. Um, Death Proof Seven. Yeah, seven. yeah. So, God, we've done a so lot. A lot man. of people, like, like just from my murmuring research in the last few days, a lot of people consider this the sixth film of Tarantino, which tells me that they don't include Death Proof in the Tarantino. Thing. I would assume that Kill Bill is one film. I would have gone. Oh, that maybe that's it. True. I think I. I think I just wanted yeah. to throw Death Proof under the bus. <laughs> I didn't think it was like we gave it a four. You know, four. It's three from one. <laughs> it is three from one. <laughs> It, it is. It is definitely a movie that I you'd have to pay me a sum of you know money what? to watch again. When I went and uh, bought some beers just for this podcast tonight, which I'm. Yeah, by the way, I'm drinking Equinox, a hazy IPA from um, Deeds Brewery over in Melbourne. Shout out to Deeds Brewery. Um, How come you're never like, oh, well, today I'm doing a Victoria beer? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the taste of that. That stuff tastes like garbage. Yeah, I want you to do that one day. Oh, you know, I've never had a Victoria bitter, actually. So you, you, you're, you're attacking yes. it without even knowing. I kind of want you, like, it would be funny just to have, like, the extent of your um, hipsterness be like, oh, this is, like, half Wait, hold on. Did old. Did you just accuse me of being a hipster? Uh, bro, what, what's the name of that beer again? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a lager. <laughs> <laughs> 
how big the uh, the the brewery? It's true. It's like the size of my living room, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Okay, look, um, look, you can shoot me for. It. I don't. I don't care. I mean, I'm judging a book by its cover. Victoria Bitter. Everybody says it's crap, but they love to drink, like you know, traditional crap Aussie beer. I don't know what it is. Um, have Have you seen that um Hey True Blue song about Victoria Bitter? No. Should I? You've got to put that on the podcast at some point. It's it's a great. I'm going to link it to you. It's a great song. <laughs> Maybe I'll throw it in the beginning in the intro. Who knows? But yeah. yeah but what I was saying was, um, when I went to buy some beers um, this afternoon, um, like the guys at the at the bottle shop that I normally go to, which is Oak Barrel. Shout out to Oak Barrel. Um, they oh, know yeah, that nice. I do this podcast. They actually follow us on Instagram, which is nice. Um, and, um, I was talking to them about what, what movie we're reviewing and recapping tonight. And I said, Inglorious Bastards. And there was a guy there that was buying his own booze. Right. And he said, isn't glorious, but he just kind of chimed in. Right. Isn't glorious bastards the best movie he's done. And I said, yes, it is. And, and then he was like, really, but I really love death proof. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wait, did you did you like get into a deep conversation? Not I would really, love to really. know the rationale behind someone who loves Death Proof. I would love it. I want to uh, know I mean, more about. I kind of wanted Proof. to ask him, like, what, what what did you see in it that we didn't see? But it seemed like the guy yeah. was a, in a bit of a rush. You know, he was probably buying booze for him and his mates or whatever, because um, he was kind of like you know talking, walking out the door type thing. Um, and then I did a shameless plug. I did a right, shameless plug okay. on um, <laughs> for the podcast. I said, "Yeah, you should check out. You should check out our review. Yeah, nice. You got some things. Um, you're probably not going to like the review." And he's like, "Really?" And then I showed him the post. And he's like, four out of ten. Really?" I was like, "Yeah, man, we struggled. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, had we had a hard, hard time, time with it. it. But you know, nonetheless, like I, like I said, hey, look, if you get a chance, if you, if you feel like it, listen to the review. Let us like let us know in the comments like what did we miss out on and yeah. what is like." Call us bastards. I yeah, wanna, call I us out. <laughs> call us out. You know, like tell us, tell us something that we don't know about the film that um, doesn't really earn a four out of ten. So, yeah, that was that was kind of nice. And to be fair, I researched the hell out of that one. Like this one, I did much less research because I liked it. I realized if I <laughs> if I hate something, I'm gonna go out of my way and figure out like why? Why did he make this? Whereas if um, I like it, I can just sort of accept it for its own merits. <laughs> You're a nice guy, though. That's why. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just try to find why. <laughs> Actually, I did a little bit of research for this one, but nothing, ah, nothing great. Okay. Well, um, we yeah. are, we have made it um, to Inglorious Bastards, the sixth slash seventh film of the Tarantino series. Is this the one that you're waiting for? Like, you pretty much want to kill the series, after, right? <laughs> no, like, no, no, no. I, I, w- I was waiting. <laughs> I was so excited to get up to this point because I wanted to be proven wrong. Like I wanted to prove myself wrong that this is the number one Tarantino film um, in his entire slate. And look, like even though yeah. you know, spoiler, and we're going to get into the details obviously when we review and recap. But I still think that this movie is number one. However, I'm going to hold reservation because we haven't seen the rest of the films. Right? We haven't seen Django, haven't seen Hateful Eight, haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm still going to have reservations for it. But but you've seen them all. I've right? seen you, them you all. I've seen, seen them all. Them but all. I, I've only seen Django, um, Hollywood, and Hateful Eight once, and I saw them in the theater. So, so oh, okay. this, like you know, Inglorious Bastards has quite a bit of advantage, like by a long shot, because I've seen this movie so many times. Because I love it. Love I think it. it's like oh, it's just awesome. 
Like pure, pure cinema. Man, I had a hell of a time watching this movie. I can't talk to you about it. I don't know if I want to get into it, but if you're watching this on Amazon Prime, <laughs> don't, don't watch don't. it on that. Get it some it's other way. It's the worst version on Amazon God Prime. damn it. I don't like, uh, just to give the, the listeners, I guess, some, some clarity here, because I, I like subtitles, right? I'm a subtitle guy. I like to know what people are saying. And this movie, in my opinion, has like some interesting accents, like strong accents. Wait, you've frozen for me. You know your internet. I think my internet bad. is bad. Yeah, it keeps freezing. <laughs> yeah, you freeze a lot, but hopefully this still works out. I don't know, but anyway, I like subtitles. And if you turn on subtitles in this movie, whenever they're not speaking English, it just says speaks French or speaks mm. German. So you have to like turn off the subtitles to get what they're saying in those other languages, and then turn it back on to get the English. And normally, I'm okay doing like no subtitles, but. Like Brad Pitt's got a strong accent, man. Like he's he's a hard guy to mm-hmm. hear sometimes. Yeah, yeah, a lot, a of, lot whispering. of whispering. Yeah, yeah. But he's also got a super thick <laughs> Texan accent, right? Exactly. Like that. That's super. No, no. He's not doing the whispering. So it's other people are doing whispering, and then he's doing that real strong accent. Like there's this scene where he's um with Diane Kruger, and he says something like, "Now this horse has changed a different color." And I was like, what the, what, what the, like, I didn't have subtitles. I'm like, what the fuck did he just say? Like, I don't, I don't know what he said. I had to go back, turn on subs and read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, I, I mean, I, I guess if you're a subtitle guy in a, in a film, then it would be a little bit frustrating when you have something like Amazon Prime. Cause, cause I, I also initially watched it on Amazon Prime cause I do have Prime, right? So I watched it as well. Yeah. Right. But then I was like, wait, hold on. The subtitles, you know, in the very opening scene, you know, they're speaking in French. It just says free no, 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 French. like it had subtitles, but it wasn't in the usual movie format, like what the what the film usually looks like. Oh, yeah, it was just like the, the, it was the, the, the Prime yeah, it was, style. Yeah, it was the subtitles from Prime. And I was like, wait, hold on, the movie's not like this. And so I was kind of wondering, like, why is it, like, and I was trying to look for... Wait, so on the movie, is it subtitles? Yeah, it's stylish. stylish. Like, like, it's, it's, nice? it's a dark, it's, oh. it's a deep yellow, like, sort of color. Mm. Right. Okay. So what I was getting was like literally, yeah, black yeah, yeah, white exactly. Text, like you know, the, not even SBS style. Like SBS is right, a yellow right. text. Right? I mean, you can take. Yeah, you can. Like, yeah, it gives you like three options for typography and color on Amazon Prime. Yeah. But I mean, that doesn't really matter. The point is that like they they sort of forced their own subtitles into the film, and they wiped out the the subtitles on the actual film, which is so weird. So what? what you so do I ended then? up just buying it on like, Google, you know, which is YouTube. I bought it oh, for like wow. sixteen bucks, and because because I do I do want to own Oof. it as well, right? Because I like you it. Like it. I, I want to own it. I, I'm surprised you're not a Blu-ray guy. You seem like you'd be a Blu-ray guy. Well, you know what? I have like seven hundred Blu-rays and DVDs sitting in New Zealand. <laughs> right. Okay. So you I are am a Blu-ray, Blu-ray guy. but I stop. So you own this on Blu-ray, or you don't own it? Actually, I don't know. I could. I think I do. I'm not sure, but yeah. like I, I stopped buying Blu-rays when the digital revolution took over. I think if I like owned a place, like a big place, I'd maybe start buying stuff again. But like for now, digital. Yeah, it's just it's just way like, easier. I don't want to move with all those boxes of. of I just discs find it stuff. like too but hard the, I, right now to just think about buying Blu-rays and then carrying them everywhere. Yeah, right. Because you still move around a bit, right? All right, sorry about that. We had some technical issues there. Technical difficulties. What did you say? I can't even remember. <laughs> I can't remember where we left off. <laughs> we're talking about like Blu-rays. And oh, yeah, Blu-rays. So that's, right. that's right. Yeah, so like 
Um, well, no, no, they're not terrible. They're just terrible because they're physical things now, and it's just so inconvenient to be carrying them around. But like, yeah. I do love my co- collection. I'm not going to add to it. Who knows? Like, there might be some Blu-ray movies that I. Well, there might be certain movies that I really want on Blu-ray. That's worth it. Um, but yeah, hey, can Blu-ray get to like 4K? Like, you can, right? And you can get to 8K and stuff, right? I'm not sure. Maybe because I find it kind of funny that like, um, you know, like throughout. We've had VHS, and we went to like VCD, then we went to DVD, then we went to Blu-ray. Like that, that technology was progressing for a while, and then we went digital first, and like it died. Like there is no desire for anything beyond Blu-ray. I feel like the um, the lifespan for Blu-ray was really short-lived, wasn't it? Because the digital revolution just took over almost instantaneously. (laughs) Because DVDs were big for a while, then Blu-rays came, and then boom, Netflix. Yeah, it was such. Netflix was around when DVDs were around. That's right. That's like, right, as in, yeah. like, they were doing DVD uh, delivery. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how they sort of became the, the a mammoth. Um, they took over Blockbuster. Blockbuster didn't think of the genius idea to, hey, we'll deliver movies to people's homes. Um, and then yeah. they got into the whole streaming thing, and then that's what took over. Um, but anyway. But anyway, yeah, cool. I digress. Um, let's talk about this movie that we're about to review. The yes. sixth slash seventh film of Quentin Tarantino, Inglorious Bastards. This movie came out in 2009 on 21st of August. I still remember going to the cinema to see this. This was back in Wellington. Um, and it's funny because like, I still remember, man. When I went to see this movie, I was so apprehensive because I wasn't a huge Tarantino fan. Like I wasn't on this bandwagon of like, yeah, Tarantino's got a film. I'm going to go see it. I just wanted to go see it because I saw the trailer and I was like, look, this looks a little bit different from what Tarantino has done in the past. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And the benefit of the doubt for me was really just Brad Pitt being in a Tarantino film. <laughs> um, and so right, yeah. And so I was kind of like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do it. Um, Wait, so Brad Pitt's like a draw for you? Kind of. Like it was a little bit of that, a little bit of Tarantino because I do – it's not like I hated his, his movies. I just didn't enjoy <laughs> – his movies the same way that everybody else did back then. Yeah, right. Okay, mm. that, that's that's fair enough. I think like because he had a couple of like misses for a while, right? I remember. I know back then for me, like I didn't get into Reservoir Dogs till twenty years later, right? Right. right. Like I, I didn't get into that thing live. Mm. So when when Inglorious Bastards came out, I don't even know if I saw it in the cinema. I don't think I cared. <laughs> that that's fair enough. Yeah. That's fair enough. I mean, it makes sense. Like I haven't seen Hateful Eight or uh, Once Upon a Time in in Hollywood. Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I was going to say America. Um, but yeah, yeah, no. So, like, I'm not even a massive fan. I mean, I'm kind of a fan now, but um, before this series, I hadn't seen a ton of the films. That's right. Uh, with a runtime of two hours and 32 minutes, this movie had a budget of $70 million and made a whopping $321.5 million in the box office. Damn. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's a good return. It's a classic Tarantino return. It's a good return because the previous films like directly previous to Uncorus Bastards didn't do as well. Like Death Proof didn't do as well. Um, Death Proof barely made, barely broke made even, right? You were kind of making the comment that it, they didn't break even. Yeah. Um, and did Jackie Brown? I can't remember. Did Jackie Brown make much? Probably not. Jackie Brown made money. I don't think it was a much money though, right? Mm, I think it was relatively low. Let me have a check here. 39 off a budget. Oh, wait, no. Total gross of 74 off a budget of 12. That's no, pretty good. Uh, did pretty good. Um, uh, this one is solely written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Um, 
starring Brad Pitt playing Aldo Rain, Diane Kruger playing Bridget von Hammersmark, Eli Roth playing Donnie Donowitz, Milan, uh, Melanie, Melanie Laurent playing Shoshana. Shoshana! I'm going to have to say her name like that now. Shoshana! <laughs> uh, Christoph Waltz plays Colonel Hans Lander. That's a cool name, isn't it? Colonel Hans Lander. Hans Lander. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. It's a cool name. It kind of flows. Sounds like a Star Wars name. Not because it's Hans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. No, I mean, I know what you mean. It's kind of got like a, a flowiness to it that um, Star Wars tends to do. That's right. Michael Fassbender playing Lieutenant Archie Cox. Uh, Daniel Bruhl playing Fredo Gazzola. Till Schweiger playing Sergeant Hugo Stieglitz. <laughs> <laughs> the coolest name. I feel like you were enjoying saying these guys' names. <laughs> well, you know why I would enjoy saying Hugo Stiglitz, right? Um, they say it so much in the film. They do, they do. Um, Gideon Bur- uh, Burkhard playing um, Captain Willem Wiki. Jackie Ido playing Marcel. BJ Novak plays, I think that's Professor. No, that's not Professor. That's Private, maybe. Yeah, I think low-level dude. Yeah, Smithson um, Utovic. <laughs> yeah. Omar Doom playing Private Omar Omar. Uh, August <laughs> Dell playing Major Halstrom. Dennis Menache <laughs> playing Pierre mm-hmm. Labatite. Sylvester Groth plays Joseph Goebbels. Martin Wutek plays Hitler. Mike Myers plays General Ed Finnick. Fennec, and Julie Dreyfus plays Francesca Mondino. No, it's funny. When I, Who's Francesca Mondino? Okay, sorry, yeah. Francesca Mondino is the uh, mistress. Well, not the mistress, but like the... the oh, the interpreter. Uh, the girlfriend of... Um, uh, Goebbels? Goebbels, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but the f- funny thing is, like, I didn't actually recognize it was Mike Myers when I first saw this movie. You did Yeah, that was one of the things I remembered when I first watched it. I was like... What, wow. Why does that guy seem familiar? And then I didn't notice until the credits. I was like, what? That was Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Like, I thought he looked very much like Mike Myers. He kind of stuck I don't, out I don't, to I don't like, know what it was. Maybe, like, I don't know. I, I think I was just kind of, like, engrossed in the whole era, you know, World War Two, Nazi Germany, blah, blah, blah. Well, it, was, well, it actually wasn't in Germany. It was in France. But um, I, th- I think I just it just didn't, like, jump out at me. But but there was a mm. moment where I was kind of like, why does he seem familiar? <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah. I found him like yeah, like he just looked so much like Mike Myers and acted in like, like the kind first of time a you saw weird it? way. I mean, I don't remember what I thought the last. I mean, this time I did, but I wasn't really looking out for it either. But I was just looking like, oh, that's so Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean. I had to actually check because I I didn't see that Mike Myers was in the film, mm. so that was like surprising. Mm. I had to look it up afterwards, yeah. Tarantino has a knack of getting all these uber-famous people to play, like, really small roles. Like, random. Like, the Samuel L. Jackson, like, uh, The narrative. Well. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious as well. Um, yeah, so why don't we just... I'm going to throw it at you. First impressions. Yep. What did you think of Inglourious Bastards? Man, I like... I really liked it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what... I don't know, this is one of those things where I hate where... Um, if I like it, I, I can't really delve into it a whole lot, but it's a linear film, um, which I don't know, for some reason we give credit to uh, uh, Tarantino for doing linear films. So, you know, cool. No, but I think like one thing that I think this film does really well is that it's got like multiple scenes of incredible tension, like the bar scene, 
the starting sequence, uh, the scene where Shoshana and Hans Landa are like just eating strudel together. Like there's a lot of really tense scenes. There's a lot of quite, quite funny scenes. Um, and then one thing that I really love about this film is that there's like this really elaborate plot and there's a lot of things that are happening around that plot and multiple people are doing plots at the same time and it just goes off perfectly more or less right like so many of these films you have these big plans and you have like these big um set pieces and you have someone like Shoshana she wants to record herself giving a death message to the Nazis that's definitely one of those things in any other film where um you know someone would find it and it would sabotage everything and there's all this like sort of tension and then something happens but this one like it just kind of works out so it's like a very cathartic experience where you get to sort of see this historical fantasy of here's how things could have gone and it again like you see this sort of sense of justice you see like the bad guys just lose and all the good guys win and everyone's really happy it's kind of great in that respect and i think like tarantino seems to get a kick out of this concept because he goes on and does it like three more times right he takes historical um sequences and then he puts his own spin on it to turn the victims into the heroes and they win in the end and everyone's happy and you know me like i'm kind of a big fan of just feeling good when i watch films so this really hit the spot for me in that regard uh key highlights highlights i don't know like i'll probably leave it there i've spent a long time with it but i really did enjoy this like when you say it's the best Tarantino film, it's pretty hard to argue with it, which I didn't expect to be in this situation. How did you feel about the uh, gruesome scenes? <laughs> oh, like the scalping was, look, gross, but for some reason I didn't seem to mind too much. I don't know why. Wow, that's like, interesting. Because even for someone like me, like, okay, so for the listener, if it's your first time listening to this podcast... Tony has a pretty weak stomach when it comes to gore. Weakest. Like, super weak. Very weak, like, yeah. No, I'm bad. He'll have a paper cut and he'll faint kind of thing. Um, yeah, like, for sure. <laughs> whereas for me, I'm I'm fine with gore. Like, I'm fine with, like, explosions and decapitated bodies and limbs flying anywhere. I'm fine with that. And you found the scalping but tough. The, the scalping, I was like, oh, that was hard to look at. <laughs> like I found it hard to look at but for some reason this film maybe it's because I've seen it before but it kind of has like a sort of whimsical quality to it it does it Sometimes, does like it's, it's sort of that thing of uh it looks fake but then it looks real it, it sort of plays with your imagination a little bit well I feel like it feel it looks real but the thing is it's happening exclusively to the bad guys like whenever brad pitt's on the screen it's like this sort of like fun rollicking adventure of these badasses that you're supposed to love going around and kicking ass <laughs> and so when they're scalping i don't seem to mind it as much i don't know why so what you're saying is like you just you're fine with like entertainment of like nazis getting scalped <laughs> Well, yeah, one, yes, and two, I think, like, yeah, like, if it's the good guy, if I'm worried for people that I support getting murdered, I seem to take that worse, and I'm actually figuring this out now as we're talking, but I think if, like, the bad guys are getting brutally, gruesomely attacked, I seem to not mind as much. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, okay, well, so, for me, first impressions, wow, okay, so where do I start? Ah, um, it's great. It is fantastic. It is yeah. inspiring. Actually, you know, it actually inspires me to be a filmmaker, 
it's not it's not my ambition to be a filmmaker, but this oh, movie has so much inspiration when it comes to true filmmaking, which I, st- I still don't know what I mean. I'm just, um, I still don't know what that means, but I'm just like sort of being hyperbolic here, just trying to find mm. ways to express how I feel about this movie. Um, it's everything that filmmaking can and should be. It's enjoyable. You have a, there's a bit of laughter, but it doesn't take away too much from the seriousness or the serious nature of World War II, which I think that's quite difficult to do, right? Like the movie feels a little bit sort of parody satire because they're taking real life events, but changing and twisting the ending and obviously mm. twisting some of the stories um, that ha- what happens to certain Nazis. Although not too far from the truth, because I, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the bastards or the inglorious bastards is a true story. Um, it's a real story of like American Jews that get taken into like behind enemy lines to like do some secret missions to take out Nazis. So yeah, I read it was like uh, it's like three guys from the American side and like eighty eight guys on women, I suppose, um, from British right. Like, probably, like in the English, call them the X troop or something. Uh, and yeah. the Americans had a different name. I'm not. I was doing I'm, a little I'm bit of research sure. on this. They called it like Operation uh, Kinup or something like that. Um, Grin up, Grin up, Grin up, Grin up, Grin up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. called like Operation Grin up, where there was a handful of um, American Jew soldiers that were taken into Germany. I actually don't even think they were taken into France. Like, I think that was just yeah. And apparently, they were just doing like um, intelligence rather than like murdering Nazis. Well, they did murder some Nazis. Like um, one of the guys, because a couple of them are still alive, I think. <laughs> Oh damn! Oh, maybe maybe this documentary is like ten years old. I don't know. <laughs> um, oh, did you? See, I saw a little um, bit of a documentary on it. Did you see that 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 news thing that happened recently about um, Ukraine in Canada? It's pretty funny. No. I mean, it's kind of funny if if you're into this kind of thing. But like, <laughs> so uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine went over to Canada to like you know have a couple speeches and and, and I think ask for some aid. And so there was this. Um, guy, and he's like, oh, you know what? I want to draw special attention to this man who we have with us today. He's a war hero. He fought against the Russians in 1945. <laughs> and so everyone stood up and cheered. <laughs> but, like, if you're fighting against the Russians in 1945, <laughs> then... <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. They had to, like... Apologize profusely because no one really made the connection. <laughs> Fighting against Russia now is like, yeah, cool. Wait, why did they say forty five though? Was it a mistake? He, no, he was a war vet. He was like a ninety year old dude. Oh, I thought who I, fought against I Russia way talking, back I when. Talking about Zelensky, like went to no, no, no. So Zelensky went to Canada yeah. to like sort of talk about like war stuff, yeah. and then someone else in Canada said, "Hey, look, we've got a war. Oh, here. okay. We want to like problem. show." Yeah love to this guy <laughs> this guy fought against russia in 1945 <laughs> and he's like this old old dude in like a wheelchair i guess and everyone's like standing up and clapping 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 but then if you kind of put it together like he was <laughs> on the german side <laughs> so because all, that, all that's on their mind is like you know russia being the bad guys right now exactly <laughs> like all that's on the mind is that russia is bad but back then Russia was not bad, so I just find that really funny. That is, anyway, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, so, so what I was talking about my impressions is the movie's great. It's so hard to fault, and um, I just like every single scene isn't wasted. Every single dialogue. 
between the characters are not wasted. They're not boring. It moves the story forward. It moves it at a pace that is worthy of the two hours and 32 minutes. And you know what? Like when I think about the runtime, the movie, I don't know about you, but the movie doesn't feel two hours and 32 minutes at all. No. It feels like an hour or something. It flies by. And you know what? Like when I think, the more I think about this movie, the more I think that this is what Tarantino has possibly been building up to, like a perfect script, perfect dialogue, perfect characters, and a fun, enjoyable film to go on, like, on a ride. It's got rewatchability. I would, I could watch this movie again, like straight after this. <laughs> yeah, I could watch this like, again. It's, it's, it's crazy. fun. Like, you know, like it's so hard to come up with a concept like this and have so much fun in it. <laughs> I do admit, like, the thing that's kind of crazy at this point, because, you know, like, you're thinking back to Reservoir Dogs and you're thinking back to Pulp Fiction, you think about this whole, like, Quentin Tarantino-style dialogue, and he doesn't do it very much in this movie, but this movie is so much better for it. Like, I think Brad Pitt's the only one that has anything, like, vaguely Tarantino-esque. Um, and one thing that I kind of want to notice as well is, I guess, like, you know, Pulp Fiction is, like, Pulp Fiction feels like a series of short stories, mm. but they're kind of random and they kind of intersect. Yep. But they don't actually go towards anything. Whereas this movie seems like him perfecting that craft because he... Like, this movie feels like a series of short stories, Mm. but they're all building to one giant crescendo. They all add on to each other. They're all giving context to the previous story, to the next story. Like, yeah, it's like... I would say this is definitely better than Pulp Fiction at what I was trying to do. Yeah, I mean, like, you're totally right. You're, um, You're sort of pinpoint correct on this idea that he's taken this long to perfect his craft and i feel like he's got to a point where he he's figured it out he's managed to capture the audiences that maybe didn't appreciate the type of films that he made before he's managed to capture that audience and also his fan base put them together and you kind of have something as brilliant as inglorious bastards so but you know what's actually kind of sad about this so i feel like it's like if you're going to say that reservoir dogs and pulp fiction feel like tarantino films this the most feels like just like a normal film. Like, yeah, it yeah. doesn't feel Tarantino esque. It just feels like a good movie. And is that like a a slight on his style that we like it the best? Okay, you you know what's interesting. So before we started recording this, I was watching an interview of Tarantino. Yeah, it's like a fifty two minute long interview about him talking about Inglorious Bastards. And oh, you're doing research. I was now, doing some okay. research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to get in there. You know, I wanted to do some homework. Um, but the one of the first questions that the interviewer said or asked uh, Tarantino was, he said, "Everybody always talks about a Tarantino film. A quote unquote, this is a Tarantino film. This is a Tarantino style. What would you say is Tarantino's style of filmmaking?" Mm. And he says, "I'm not sure if I'm the best person to answer this because." I think I just leave it up to the people that watch my films. Uh, right. So maybe what he's trying to say is that, like, because he further elaborates um, that he just loves to make films. He loves to make stories, and whatever those stories surmount to, whether it's a Tarantino or whether it's not, it's not the point. To him, he lets the characters dictate what the story is, right, which is – incredibly indicative and evidential like in all of his films when you look at all his mm. films all those characters are really rich and in so many different aspects um and i think this is just like a, a sign of a true creator or a true visionary when it comes to filmmaking that he can answer 
the that type of question in that way, right? So yeah, I mean, I guess he's just kind of like saying, like you know, people give me labels and and I don't try for it. But it's kind yeah. of funny in the sense that so much of his films up till now are just like you know, here's this kid who's grown up loving films, and so most of his movies are like homages to something else, right? Kill Bill, huh. you know, whatever samurai films. Uh, Jackie Brown, Death Proof. Even Pulp Fiction is like a love to, uh, you know, pop culture and, and stuff like that, right? Whereas this one just feels like, I mean, I guess it's probably an homage to something. Like maybe, I know that like he's been on the record saying that this is like an homage to war movies. He apparently said that he used to watch a lot of these like sort of war propaganda films, like the same one that's in the movie, Nation's Pride. And he noticed that like these people were coerced into making these films, but they're actually good films. Like there's comedy, there's, there's a uh, hope and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't seem so much like an actual homage. Like he's going to take that style of film and try and make it in 2009. He's just making a film that's like in that style. It's still modern though. It's still a real film. Mm-hmm. And I think he's better off for it. Like he's better off not trying to, mimic what was happening in the past rather than just use it as inspiration that's right i mean he um he also said that like he's always wanted to make a western film and he always uh, keeps pushing it back and so i think he attempted to make a western film when he was writing the script for this but then it ended up turning into mm. a war film (laughs) it's kind of funny i would say like django is like a very sort of it's a western yeah. film in well, a way right I, I like think, it's gunslingers and cowboys yeah and, I, I think that's his sorry. dream like sort of fully realized that he's finally done a western film because you know obviously this is like years before um django um but like he, he he started writing the script in 1998 right okay that's a long time yeah ago. yeah and he didn't finish it because um, he just felt like it wasn't the right time to finish it. And so he shifted his focus to finishing Kill Bill. So he was writing this movie the same time that he was doing Kill Bill. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. So he's been working on it for a long time. Well, it, no, it turned out great. Turned out great. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's my first impressions. And we should probably get into the recap. Now, the way we're going to do this recap is very similar to how we've done it before. Um, we'll just skim through the chapters. Luckily, this movie's broken down into chapters, and I think it would just be fun to, to Oof, talk look about... look at this chapter. F- <laughs> chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes, yeah. I cut you off, but... But I think it would be nice to just... Um, yeah, let's just like go through these chapters. Because we know what the scenes are, right? People have seen this movie. We can just say, like, for example, chapter one, it's the scene in the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Like, do we need to... <laughs> say interrogating Perrier Lepetet, a French dairy farmer, over rumors that he has been hiding. Like you know what I mean? That's true. Like, That's true. Yeah. I just noticed that I'm missing chapter two, so I'm just going to quickly put it in here. Uh, let's see. We can yeah. remember it. Chapter two is and all about the bastards. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think this is going to be fun. Just going through the movie itself in the way it's filmed, which is chapters one to five, um, and then we'll just kind of add our bits and pieces and see if there's certain things that might change our opinion on it, you know, and maybe. I doubt it. Yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's try for it. All right. Oh, that's loud today. That is loud. <laughs> Chapter one. Once upon a time in dot, 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 Nazi-occupied France. The film opens up in 1941 with Colonel Hans Lander, played by Christoph Waltz, of the Wolfen-SS. <laughs> 
proudly known as the Jew yeah. Hunter, interrogating Pierre Lapadite, a French dairy farmer, over rumors that he had been hiding a Jewish family, the Dreyfuses. Landa merges, uh, manages to break down La, La Petite and locates the hiding place of the Jews underneath the floorboards. He orders the soldiers to fire into the floorboards to, in order to kill the Jews. Shoshana Dreyfus manages to escape unharmed but covered in blood and runs in horror. Hans Landa spares her life and lets her flee. Now, actually, before, before we talk about chapter one, I do mm-hmm. want to want to address one of the very first things that I that I started to enjoy when I first oh. watched this film. I still remember this vividly when I was in the cinema. Oh yeah, was the changing typography in the credits, <laughs> the opening credits. Oh, you know what? Something I want to want to note actually is that I really am starting to love the fact that um, Tarantino does these real movie style credits. Yeah, like, like always using the old logos screen. and stuff. Old logos, but you get like a cast, like a long cast list right at the start, just with backing, like, you know, audio. You don't really see that in many other films. Like, it's always you get like just the main character, or it's like, you know, you've got action sequences happening and you see it in the bottom corners or whatever. Like, you never see this style of just music and boom, 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 name, 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 name. And it just makes it feel like an old style film. I I I think that's his homage to old style filmmaking. Because yeah. he grew up with that, he was inspired by that, and I think he always wants to put that in his films. I really like it. Like it's just it's a fun stylistic choice. But, but I just remember, man, like when I saw it, I was I just cracked up. I was laughing because I thought it was so <laughs> funny that the typography kept changing. I was like, yeah, it's like there's like three different fonts, right? Yeah, four? Four? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know why. It's like it's sort of different tiers of actors. It just it just or? reminds me of like how quirky Tarantino is. You know, it just. <laughs> Like yeah. An expression of his like personality. He's quirky. He's a bit, he's a bit weird, bit nerdy, but but fun. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to address that like before we get into chapter one. Yeah, sure. Um, so what do you think about this, this scene, man? You know, like um, he. This is one movie that I've noticed, and maybe he does it in the in the next ones as well. He cues the music in sync with like scenes. Did you notice that? Um. I mean, I would like on beat kind of thing. That, see, I don't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know if he does it in other movies, but like, I do know that like I love his audio choices mm. in films. But you're saying that like he plays it well in time. What, what are you time. referring to specifically? So, like in, in this opening scene, um, one of the cool, well, like, there's so many cool shots, right? Um, there's a really cool shot of uh, the camera behind one of the daughters. You know, the brunette, let's say the brunette. And she's like mm. hanging the washing. She goes to pull the washing to the side. And then the piano comes in of that song. What's that song called? Oh. But it's a really ominous version of it. Yeah, you know the song I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Anyway, it's I know it's that one. That's actually kind of a delightful song. But mm. the way that Tarantino it's, does this is like super it's ominous. It's ominous. It's creepy. Oh, I didn't even notice it. So yeah. like that piano starts when she slides the, I don't know the uh, the bed lining or whatever to the side. Yeah. It's like a little bit slower and it's a little bit scary. Damn, yeah. Okay. So he does that. Um, I think he, he, like all the beats leading up to that moment of the soldiers shooting into the floorboards was mm. the most. 
Like I still remember it being the most intense scene that I've ever seen in my life. Oh, for <laughs> sure, yeah. Like, and like the thing that's crazy, I think about this scene is, in my opinion, like it, it's kind of the perfect scene in a lot of ways because Hans Lunder is this charming, high energy, overly friendly guy, right? Like he's really quite positive in this scene, but then you just see um, Perrier Lepidit. I don't know his name, um, the the actor's name. Um, he's acting like he's a big, strong guy and he's acting super worried, super tense. Um, and you just sort of feel that tension in the scene, even though Christoph Waltz, um, is just like being super friendly. Mm-hmm. And when it takes that sinister turn, when he starts like, cause he goes from like, Oh, it's just paperwork. Oh, I think we've just missed it, but it's not a big deal. And then he starts to really drill down. Um, you feel it turn. Oh, right? yeah. I think that's, it's yeah, it's just done really like, well. Like I don't know how he he manages to. This is just Christoph Waltz's acting skills, his acting chops. It's phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. How do you play a character where you have to be villainous, sinister, dem- like commanding, um, mm. authoritative, but also be polite, gentle and, at the same time? Yeah. Like polite, gentle, charming. Uh, that's crazy to me. Like, like that's fun. that's more that's more of a creepy and threatening villain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like there's so many times where it's just like a fun, like oh hey, you know how's it, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then as soon as he turns, you buy it instantly. Yeah. Like, he's like this evil guy that can do some terrible things. Yeah, like even just the little things of of like when when um, Lapatit asks if I can smoke my pipe and he says, oh, by all means, this is your house. Make yourself at home. You know, just those comments. It's kind of like, man, this guy's nice, but I don't want to have dinner with him. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's crazy. And I think this scene just does it really well because, like, you know that the people are downstairs and you see, as soon as he says, like, are you harboring enemies? And you look at Lapatit's face and he's just, like, super tense and you just know it's all, like, screwed right Mm. that scene was like like that that scene was like it came full circle when lapati his reaction to that his emotional reaction the slow gradual dread and you see the you see him quivering you know he cries he cries cries. well but that single tear is like so powerful because you know he's trying to hold it back and he's trying to keep it together but he can't Mm. like he's he's just shaking he's trembling and it's so scary and so like the way tarantino frames this you know the the camera lens like his his focus pulling is in and out in and out of the characters so much so to build constantly build this tension and we haven't even gotten to the point where the music builds as well the music only starts building when hans stands up right when he's when he stands up then the music creeps in and that uh, he's kind of got it by he's got it he's like where are they over here over there and he gets up and he's like yeah "Mm -hmm." and that was like the whole dialogue between the two characters was so important the way it's written it's like perfectly written this this piece of script mm. if it if it was written any other way i don't think hans lander would have had the power or authority to do or had that kind of commanding position where he's like are they here are they here are they here you know like everything mm. leading up to that point made him so powerful that he was kind of untouchable so it was like it was perfect yeah, I, I think so too. The, I want to talk about like, the, the great opener. It's a great opener. Sorry, yeah. yeah. Um, but sorry. I want to talk about the camera where, it, like, it, it's pretty steady and um, it's pretty kind of like soft and gentle for the most part, right? 
up until this point. And then it does this really obvious track, like 180 track around, like it goes behind Hans Lander and then it goes over to La, La Petite and then it goes down into the floorboards. Do you, do you remember that camera shot? I remember the floorboards part because it's like quite a slow like pan down, but no, I don't recall the, the, the 180 rotation. Yeah, it starts from like a 180. It starts on the right-hand side of Hans Lander, goes behind him oh. and then it goes over to the right-hand side of uh, La Petite and then it goes down. Because right, okay. I remember when I first watched it, I was like, why is the camera all of a sudden tracking? Because like we hadn't seen any tracking up until this point. It's crazy how you notice <laughs> that camera. Oh, like, to oh, me, oh, it's oh, like so obvious. Is it not that obvious? <laughs> yeah. Not for me, no, yeah, no. Apparently not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this, you're the true fan. It makes sense. I guess so, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, man. So it's just like the music builds up and... He he says, ladies, come in. And obviously, like, it, it sounds like he's he's calling for the daughters to come in, but really he's calling for the soldiers to come in. Yeah. They get in, and then they just – and what does he say? He, like, he says something in French. He says, blah, 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 and then he says, adieu. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, he's like he's saying, like, you know, okay, you know, there's nothing here for us, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm going to leave now. And he says, yeah, adieu. I, I and, do. Then he, and then they start shooting. Man, and then the music – Oh, man, it's just yeah. – that stuff is haunting. It is haunting. Um, and then it's interesting because, like, he watches um, <clears throat> Shoshana run underneath the floorboards or crawling as fast as you can. Mm. He actively chooses not to shoot in the floorboards. Like, he doesn't He doesn't actually go over to the soldiers and say, hey, continue shooting. He just says, shh, shh look, yeah. watching her run away. And yeah. he... Because he respects the rat. He respects the rat. Okay, <laughs> I've thought long and hard about this. Why did Hans Lander just let her go? Do you have a theory about this? Okay, so my theory is a dumb one. It's a made-up one. It's like, he respects the rat, for one. Two, he just probably, like, doesn't think she'll survive without support. You know, oh, she seems dumb. How can you respect the rat and then don't think she'll survive? <laughs> hmm. So I just, because I feel like he's like, he kind of makes it very clear. And especially by the end of the movie, you get this sense that like, he's not, he doesn't hate the Jews. He respects the Jews. He, he thinks like them and that's what makes him good at his job. So he's not like trying to exterminate every last one of them. He's just trying to do his job well. So if his job was to, you know, hunt down families, he's murdered most of the family. He doesn't really care about like a straggler. That's my theory. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the way I'm thinking about my theory is like way too deep and it's probably like, it probably doesn't even matter. Like it's just probably just as simple as like, look, he's he's done his job for the like the big the bulk of his job is complete. He doesn't have to kill mm. like like what you say doesn't have to kill everybody. And then maybe that also makes a bit more sense when we get to the end and know in full circle in some ways what what his real purpose is for being in his position. He's he's accomplished yeah. everything that he he has and he's looking for a scapegoat. Right? He's looking for the best outcome for himself because he actually doesn't care about the Nazis. Ultimately, he doesn't care about like fighting for anybody. He just cares about himself. Um, yeah, he's just. I think he's just a German guy who's good at finding people, yeah. and so he's got this job, which he's very good at. But mm. I don't think he harbors any hate towards the the Jews. Mm. It sounds like he, he says it right. He outright says yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So like, but but again, like you know, when when you're watching this for the first time, like it's interesting that you just. You don't really question the decisions around why Tarantino just let the character do that after everything that had happened just before that, because mm-hmm. it's such a poetic moment for some reason. It's such a like 
scary poetic moment that he's letting this Jew live, but you know that this is only like 10 minutes of the movie. Who knows what could happen to that character later on, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, you know that they're, they're going to play a, a larger part in this film. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, I think like, there's so many theories why he could do it. Like, he's just like, you know, she's too far away now. It's not worth the shot. He's such a – you could think he's, like, such a meticulous and, and – I'm not sure what the best word for this is. But, like, you know, wildly shooting at the floor, trying to hit a rat doesn't seem like he's kind of style. Yeah, yeah. And then he's got his gun out. He's waiting to shoot. And then she kind of gets far away and he's like, oh, you know what? I, I probably can't hit it from here. Yeah. And he's like the kind of guy to make that determination. That's right. Yeah. There's a bunch of reasons. Au revoir, sure, shut up. He's scary. He is scary. Did we want to yeah, say yeah, anything else about chapter one? Or that's about it? No. Oh. I think we're good. All right. There's, there's five of them. so Got a long way to go. We can't make this a four hour. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Chapter 2 Inglorious Bastards Where we get to meet the bastards In the spring of 1944 So this is The movie actually says like four years later However this is actually three years later <laughs> I mean it says four years later From when we meet um, From when we get to Shoshana Like where she's in Paris mm. But the movie actually opens up in 1941 but this is the spring of 1944. And also Shoshana is seen in Paris in 1944 as well. Even though, So the film says four years later, I don't know. It's a little bit of a nitpick, but I'm kind of like, did they make a mistake here? <laughs> mm, that's odd. That is odd, right? Yeah. It I, seems really- well, who's saying 1944? This text is saying it. The fi- oh, the f- well, the text is wrong. <laughs> this is true. This- Wait, but don't, don't they make reference? Oh, yeah, no, they do make references in 1944. When? Oh, no, 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 it's actually 1945, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm just thinking, like, if they say 1941 and then four years later, you've got to trust the film. And and, and I think think there is a part in the the film, like, halfway through, it says 1945 as well. Oh, okay. Anyway, sorry. Um, In the spring of 1944, First Special Service Force Lieutenant Aldorain recruits eight Jewish-American soldiers for a mission behind enemy lines, telling them they each owe him a hundred Nazi scalps and <laughs> will take no prisoners. <laughs> the bastards become so feared Adolf, Adolf Hitler, played by Martin Wutick, personally interviewed... Wood, Woodke? Woodke? Or is it Wutick? I don't know. Well, the K is ahead of the E, right? Wood, Woodke? 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 Anyway. Um, personally interviews a soldier called Butz. Private Butz. <laughs> Did you remember that? <laughs> no. What do you mean? Remember what part of it? His, they, his name is Private Butz. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a funny name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is the satire and kind of like piss take that Tarantino mm. has on this film. Oh, you know, like, yeah, I just kind of thought it was like a funny name. I yeah. think this is just him like, you know, taking the piss, but it, it doesn't take <laughs> away any credit from the film. It just kind of adds yeah. to this ludicrous. Yeah, because like the humorous parts of it really add to this. Oh, movie. yeah. Like, if it's sure. just played for pure drama, this would be a pretty painful watch. This is true. Yeah. Uh, Butch relates how his squad was ambushed and how his sergeant was beaten to death with a baseball bat by Staff Sergeant Donnie Donowitz, played by Eli Roth, the Bear Jew, feared as Gollum by the German soldiers <laughs> when the sergeant refused to divulge information. Butz survived by providing the information, but Rain carved a swastika into his forehead with his knife. Um <laughs> Lot, lots of talking here i'll let you jump in for this one yeah i mean okay so things that i really want to point out i think like you know brad does 
a great job with the Aldo Rain character. Like, I think he's a fun guy. He's hammy it up. He's chewing the scenery, and I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I right? wonder like, if he came up with the idea to make him a Texan. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Who knows? But, like, he's really hamming it up, and I feel like it is just better for it. Because it, you've just come from a really tense, really serious scene. So then when you've got, like, Brad Pitt with this heavy accent talking about Nazi scalps and how he wants a hundred scalps and you will get him his scalps. It's just, it really takes a lot of that tension, like washes it away really quickly. And I want my scalps. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like it's just, it's cool. And then you've got like, I mean, anything you want to say about that part? I don't know if I want to do the entire chapter two before you get a chance to jump in. Oh, um, man, what do I start? Okay. Adolf Hitler, the way he's playing in this scene, (laughs) he's, I think, my interpretation of this is that Tarantino wanted to do everything in his power to make him look weak, whiny, annoying, yeah. and he displays <laughs> it so well. You know, obviously through the brilliant performance of this guy called Martin Wittek, which I'm assuming is German as well. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's funny. And he mentions, do you, do you remember, like, he's, he talks about the whole Gollum thing, um, and yeah. then he talks about how we're going to, put them upside down and then like hang them in the Eiffel Tower and yeah, yeah. Um, is it the Eiffel Tower? And throw them down the sewers, yeah, down the sewers. <laughs> so that the rats can eat them. And then like what was real funny about that was the reaction of the of the I don't know the commanders like whoever are like the Oh what they say what they do, I don't remember. <laughs> they just sit like awkwardly like, they look at each other awkwardly and like sit uncomfortable. It's so funny, Oh man. right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's one I, of those little quirks where if you blink, you'll miss it. But it's it's yeah. a it's a hilarious. I blunk. Yeah, there you go. You blunk. Um, <laughs> it was it was a it was a nice little little bit of like kind of hey, um, this is a funny scene and watch how these characters react. So they react and kind of like oh, this is a little bit awkward. And they show it on their face and they move in an awkward position. <laughs> I do find it fun how in this scene, like you know, this whole movie is kind of this this interesting point in the war where Hitler is really concerned about like propaganda and the media and how things are perceived because like he's calling up his soldiers and he's like, Hey, don't call this guy bear Jew anymore. Like you can't call him that. I bear that name. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's so good. It's funny. It's so funny. so good. And then like, what's the whole thing about Gollum as well? I was like, I think one of the, uh, one, one of the commanders or whatever who was sitting at that table, he says something like, yeah, like oh, they, it's not a real golem, actually, or something like that. It's like they, they, they think he's a golem, but I don't think he's a golem. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. It's so great. It's so uh, great. And then, you, and then you have that random dude at the back painting Hitler. And if you, if you notice, like he's painting Hitler like the real Adolf Hitler as well. Oh, as in... Like the actual... Mm, Adolf Hitler. He's not painting a version of the character in the movie. He's painting oh. Adolf Hitler, the real one, and that's what makes I was that's what makes that. it even more funny. Okay. Is because like it's the whole thing is very satirical, and it sort of hits home when you see the painting. It's the real Adolf Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like that's this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and the because yeah because. Sorry. I was going to say the guy painting him, you know, he's some kind of strange caricature as well. Like he's a dude with like clearly a fake mustache, like a fake wig, and he's doing all these weird gestures in the background. 
I saw the painting, but I didn't recall any like weird gestures. I guess I was too focused on on Hitler like screaming and banging the table. I think I noticed that the first time I seen it. I was like, why does that guy look like a fake actor in the background? (laughs) (laughs) How funny would it be if like he wasn't meant to do all those actions and the the Hitler character just had a great take and they're like, you know what? Fuck, we're using it. We're use it. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just there's, just there's so much in this short scene of Hitler just being such a whiny dickhead and whatever. Um, and the dialogue was just like, how do you even come up with that? Like, yeah. like if someone said to you, "Hey, I want you to write a semi-funny scene of Hitler talking about the bear Jew," go for it. Like, how? What do you come up with? <laughs> I would. It would not need be nearly as good. <laughs> Yeah, just genius stuff, genius stuff. But one thing I love about, like, this scene as well is, again, like, I mean, moving on a little bit, like, you learn so much about a bunch of the characters, like, nearly all the characters in a way, right? You learn about Hitler as, like, sort of like a weird maniac who cares about the dumb stuff. Um, You learn so much about the bastards, right? Like, their credentials are locked in at this point. It's amazing, right? Like, I love how they showcase the credentials. It's not over the top as well. Like... Yeah. Um, Tangent does, does a good job at keeping chapter two condensed, but it feels like a lot. Right? Yeah. Like you've got the Germans talking about how big a deal he is, and then you see them in action scalping people, yep. and like, and the negotiation is funny. Like it's a very funny scene. It is a very, very good scene. Um, yeah. We established the Bear Drew. We established like the German soldier who's like willing to lay his life down at all, like at all costs. Yeah. You know, he's not going to give up Nazi territory or information. Like he's a true Nazi soldier, and the complete contrast to that is Private Butz. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'll do this. Here, 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 this, and they did exactly. This. But it's just funny because when you see a person like in a normal film, in like ninety nine percent of films, you know, you see this character who's like got. Uh, he's got bravery, he's got dignity, he's he's like willing to die for his beliefs. And it's like, it's this heroic thing, right? But this film flips it on, on its head where you've got this character who you don't like because he's German and he's on the wrong side and he's like this being really brave. And then you... Um, you see Brad Pitt and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm tickled you said that because, you know, it's just like the closest we get to watching the movie. <laughs> and then he's, what did he say to um, the bear Jew? He's like, we got someone who wants to die for his country. Indulge him. Yeah, something like that. Like he says, Daddy. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And then he says that. Um, yeah. It's, it's so good. I, I just want to jump back a little bit um, to Private Boots. Like what, what you notice. Oh, yeah, sure. What you notice before he kind of gives up, you know, he just like he's, he's petrified. Um, he's crying like before all of that stuff. Like you, you see a moment oh, yeah. where he's just like in full tears and leading up to the moment where he just gives up all the information, like the moments that happened before that, the, the, the scenes that happened before that was so important in such a critical way to just instill the fear of God inside private books, right? Yeah. Like, the, like the way the whole negotiation that didn't turn out to be a negotiation in the end and getting out to Bear <laughs> Jew coming out of the cave and then bashing his brains with a baseball bat. Like that's some crazy shit. You know, the only person that can survive that without having the fear of God being put through them is probably the Joker. Like that stuff should just, yeah. It, like it's, it's, a, it's a worse feeling I can imagine. I've never been been through it myself, but it's the worst feeling I can imagine getting beaten by a baseball bat than getting shot, right? 
Oh, for sure, for sure. Like, I actually felt, like, a little bit shitty in the scene where I'm like, you bash that dude, you shoot the second guy. Like, why would the third guy not just run and get shot knowing that it's a much better outcome than getting bashed? Well, because Aldo, like, he immediately interrupted. He said, God damn it. He's like, bring him over here, alive. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's like true, he that's says true. it straight away. Like he didn't want any of his bastards to shoot anybody because um, yeah. he needed all that information. So it's funny how he gets private boots up. He sits down, and I love the camera work here. You know, because he brings oh, the translator okay. down, so the translator's in the middle. Private boots is on the left hand side, and Brad Pitt's on the right hand side. And he's and he Brad Pitt says something. He goes to the translator, then it goes to boots, and then it goes down. So the camera does this like. Right, middle, left, down, right, middle, left, down. Hey, is there, is there, there's no, there's no subtitles in the scene, right? Just to be a hundred percent clear. Like no. when the translator's talking, you only get it when the translator talks exactly, English, right? Exactly. And this, okay. this is the genius thing about, about him making this film with subtitles is that he puts subtitles mm. in the necessary parts and he takes it away yeah. when it's not necessary. You know, I just, I just I actually, actually noticed respect. that when I watched this, like, yeah, because I noticed it because, uh, you know, I was having all those issues with the movie, right? So I wasn't sure. Um, but yeah, like I, I do respect the fact that this movie is, you know, very much in the languages that like kind of make sense in that time. That's right, yeah. Like, you know, how many times do you see a movie? Like, for example, freaking Kill Bill, where he's talking to Pai Main. Pai Main's like... Um, and like I respected at the time, but he's talking Cantonese. She responds in English because the actress can't speak that That's language, right. and it's just a limitation yeah. of, you know, of what's happening. But like, I, it's super common where you see characters. You know, he's an Indian character, so he'll talk English with an Indian accent, and you're like, wait, what am I meant to take away from this? <laughs> you know what I mean, like, <laughs> That's true. Like, like so much like kudos to Tarantino for putting in all this effort to keep it. To keep at least like the languages alive in these time periods, right? Yeah, it's awesome for sure. It would be so easy to have all the Germans speak. You know how like the villain speaks English with a British accent all the time. Yeah. Like it's always it's always English, That's right, yeah. but just different accents. Like the Russian dude will speak English in Russian, mm. and they'll speak to each other in in, in English, right? Because they just because English people you know, are evil, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I just notice a lot of movies, they always just have people speaking English with different accents to portray things when they really should just have subtitles, but they don't want to force people to read. But see, this movie is an example of people are okay reading if it makes sense. Yeah, it's perfect. He's able to get away with it as well because he has a substantial amount of people talking English. So you can have that. He strikes a really good balance here and he just it just works well with him. Um, yeah, that's fair. Before we move on to the next chapter, we have to talk about Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> oh, yeah, because his scene is in this his one, His scene right? is in this one, and yeah, it's so okay. great. I, I, I remember I, I was so loud and vocal when I cracked up at this part where, where <laughs> they're, like, they're talking, they ask the, the German soldier before he gets bashed over by the bat, he says, have you heard of Hugo Stiglitz? He's like, everybody in the German army has heard of Hugo Stiglitz. And then all the bosses start laughing, ah, and it goes to Hugo Stiglitz, and it freeze frames, and it goes, and Hugo Stiglitz. <laughs> and actually, like, you probably didn't see it because you saw it on Prime. It doesn't show his name come up, right? Uh, no, it doesn't. It just yeah, shows a freeze, frame, freeze frame, and then it just shoots So the, the actual movie, and stuff you, Prime, for doing this, by the way, there's a big typography text like a big logo of his name so it's hugo yeah. 
Oh, damn. It literally is just this, like... Okay, so I actually thought it was weird. These There are these freeze frames that are, like, kind of long, but there's nothing on the screen. Yeah. It's just a... It's just a jarring yeah, exactly. Cut. That's the prime the version. Prime version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The actual version has, like, uh, a logo of his name, and it's in, like, funky kind of, like, 1970s funk writing kind of thing. It says, Hugo Stiglitz. Oh. <laughs> and I don't know how they got rid of that. I'm I don't know. Prime's weird, man. Um yeah, so I, I, I remember actively cracking up at that in the movie. And everybody else laughed as well. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is so weird. <laughs> um, Man, I love the dialogue when they break you. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so modern for what it is. Like, I am a fan of your work. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, you're just still an amateur. Yeah. Oh, notice, you can do it. You notice you're a little bit of an amateur. And we want to see if you wanted to make it up to the pro, pro league or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to go pro in killing that, <laughs> it's so good. Um, and again, I think it's more of that satirical feel for the film that sort of has one foot in modern times and then has the other foot in like the Nazi Germany time. Or Nazi yeah, time. it's kind of funny actually. It's like all the British, all the English speaking people are like modern, and everyone else is like sort of part of the period drama, right? right? Like, like yeah. I feel like. Uh, Brad Pitt and the Bastards are the only ones who are speaking like very modern all the time. Because if you've got like you've got uh, the the bear Jew when he kills that first guy, he's like, "Whoa, that's gone all over the Fenway Park." Or uh, something I'm sure like that, that yeah. they've had baseball back then, right? So it's it's weird to say that it's like not modern, yeah. but I just thought like dialogue must have been more. Ah, yeah, then, like that's I, a I know very modern. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, woo, it's over the fence, you know, look at it go, what a great hit. That's like, right. that's I feel like that's intentional modern. from Tarantino's behalf as well because the, the movie is such a melting pot of, like, so many different styles um, of, of character building and um, satirical uh, scenes and whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, it could be, like, an intentional Tarantino thing or maybe Tarantino didn't even think about it. Maybe it's, like, we're the only ones that – or you're the only one that picked it up. <laughs> <clears throat> nah, he's got to have done it on purpose. It's great, though. I love yeah. it. Um, I do want to point this out as well here. Um, where is it? Tarantino wanted Adam Sandler to originally play Donnie Donowitz. I can see that. Yeah. He's a big guy. He looks... Okay, that sounds bad, but he's got the, <laughs> the brown hair. <laughs> I knew you were going to go with it. <laughs> Just commit to it, dude. It's fine. He looks... He looks like a great baby. <laughs> uh, like he's like a big guy and he, he can put, definitely pull it off. I can see him in that role. Yeah. Well, Easily. it's interesting yeah, because, sure. you know, Adam Sandler is like, you know, obviously we know him as a comedy guy. He's done some like recent stuff with, where he's played a bit more serious dramatic characters and apparently he's really good in them. I haven't seen them. Um, but. Uh, Wait, you didn't watch Hustle? No, I didn't watch Hustle, but I heard it was good. Oh, it's a great movie. Yeah. I love sport films, so okay. you know I can't be trusted. <laughs> um, so, but apparently Adam Sandler had a conflict with his movie Funny People at the time. So instead, oh, that movie sucks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine turning down and glorious bastards for Funny People? Jeez. But like, to be fair, he he's the the main guy in Funny People, whereas you know Donnie Donowitz is not a big part of this movie. True. And Donnie Donowitz is actually quite comedic. Like mm. he's much more comedic than he is action. True, and and also think Funny People was produced by his company, um, the Happy Madison Productions. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I was so into that movie, by the way. Like like from the trailer, I wanted that so badly, and it was not. And then it just. Suck. <laughs> like the premise is so good 
the idea of like a super famous guy who's now phoning it in having to deal with um personal trauma is great yeah. i think that's a cool idea but anyway sorry um yeah so his friend uh tarantino's friend eli roth who's also a director but very famous for directing horror films which you probably won't watch um and then another thing is also, meanwhile, Simon Pegg could have played Archie Hickox, but was making Adventures of Tintin, and he ended up phoning in Michael Fassbender to play the role. Michael Fassbender's way better at it. Way better at it than Simon Pegg would have been for that particular True. role, in my opinion. Although, like, I think Simon Pegg, is a, he's a pretty dynamic actor, in my opinion, and I, I don't know, he could have done it, but Michael Fassbender, is, he, he wears that boot really well. No, but... Yeah, Mike, like, like that scene, which do we go we get into? To? It no, we don't get to. Yeah, but like, it's just, he has to be quite imposing, and Michael Fassman is like quite an imposing looking guy. Like, True. he looks like a German yeah. um, officer, mm. right? Like, he looks like a guy who's gone through some stuff, even though he's actually played not that way in this film. Right. Like, he's like a film critic who's like really. Um, intelligent and mm. i guess has those kind of hobbies but like simon Pegg would not have i don't think he would have looked quite as good in that role. probably not look as intimidating for sure yeah like he's kind of a small guy right mm. um anyway. anyway chapter three Shoshana is latest scene in 1944 when she assumes the identity of emmanuel mimu <laughs> I think it's Mim. Yeah, Mim, Mim. Okay. She had also become the proprietress, a proprietress? A proprietress of a cinema, which is chosen by Frederick Zoller, played by Daniel Brühl, as a premiere of his film, a spotlight hungry sniper turned actor whose exploits are celebrated in the Nazi propaganda film, Stoltz did the nation, a nation's pride. We should review that next, a nation's pride. Uh, they've made that. That'd be cool to watch. I mean, it looked all right in the in the cinema scene, right? Yeah, it looked um like a predictable ending. <laughs> as the sitting as the sitting for the film premiere, since he feels attracted to Shoshana, he manages to convince Goebbels to hold the premiere in her cinema. Shoshana, however, does not re- reciprocate her feelings or his feelings. Sorry. Shoshana realizes that the presence of so many high ranking Nazi officials and officers provides an excellent opportunity. For revenge, she resolves to burn down her cinema using the massive quantities of flammable nitrate film in her storage rooms during the premiere and makes a fourth reel in which she tells the Nazis present of her Jewish identity and revenge. Mm. Okay. Did All right. What do you this think? chapter? Does this chapter um, cover the scene where they go into the restaurant or the cafe or whatever it is with the apple strudel? It yes. does, right? Yeah. It does. Um, and that's, like, the coolest part of this scene. Like, like it's kind of shitty to say like, this is, like, not that interesting a scene because I don't have a whole lot to say about it. But, look, it's acted really, really mm. well. It plants a lot of seeds for storyline. It's a required it's scene. It's kind of like a setup chapter, yeah. right? A yeah, chapter. and it's, it's good. Like, it's great. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I do think, like, my favorite part of this chapter is when they get to the cafe. Um, and she meets Goebbels. She meets the... She, she meets the girlfriend of Goebbels. Oh my god, the introduction to the girlfriend. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. That was so jarring, man. You are not expecting that. It's not even his girlfriend, it's his translator, right? It's just so, like implied yeah. that, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why am I saying girlfriend? It's, it's like the translator. And then it yeah. shows that jarring scene. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. Um, uh, and um, 
what I like about the way Goebbels is played, he's a sleaze. He's a creep. Yeah. Like he's he's got this kind of like slimy aura to him. Even that little thing where he goes to shake her hand, but like he kind of like wiggles his fingers like before he grabs her hand. Do you remember that? Oh, not really. He kisses it, right? He kisses like it, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he so yeah. So he kind of like flickers his fingers like a creepy dude. Grabs her hand, kisses <laughs> it, and she's kind of like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> but yeah. but what what's impressive about this is that you manage to get this overwhelming sensation and feeling, and also like um, protect protection. A protection might be the word. I'm not sure, but you you feel sort of protective of the character Shoshana because she's now surrounded mm. in everything she hates <laughs> in yeah. that very moment. And like we all, I mean, I knew she was Shoshana, but I don't actually know if they ever call her that or it's ever clear that she is that until like when she takes them through the cinema and then they leave mm. and then Marcel says, oh, Shoshana, you know, what are we going to do? I don't think she's ever called that until that moment. Oh. Like officially, you don't know that it's her until then. Oh, okay. Officially. But I mean, it's very obvious that that's who Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I never had that issue when I first saw it. I was like, oh yeah, that's Shoshana. Like... Um, yeah, but but it also says like there's there's a text that doesn't come up in the prime version. <laughs> oh, text, it, it says it's, it's a her? freeze frame where it says um like four years after the massacre, like the the family massacre at the ranch or whatever it was. Oh, maybe that was it. I think I did record yeah, something like that's that. a freeze frame where she's she's on top of the ladder and she's taking down the 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 letters. Okay, no, you're probably mm. right. You're right. You're yeah. right. So it was obvious that it was her, and I'm thinking, how? How? Mm. If I don't say it, then how? But yeah. But I think like in this scene, it's kind of cool. Like, Goebbels is, is a creep. Um, like, you've it does a lot of, again, like, storyline stuff where you got, like, Zola. He's, like, shown to be, like, this really nice guy who's quite humble about how much people love him. Um, yeah, like, he, and when he does his turn later on, it's, like, Oh yeah, cool. All the Germans are bad. Exactly, yeah. Because like up until now, you think, oh, he's just a nice guy who's interested in a girl who does who hates mm. him. No fault of his own. He happens to be on the wrong side. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like he, he you can feel that he genuinely wants to like hit on her. You, you feel that he like yeah. genuinely wants to go out on a date with her and want to build a relationship. His intentions are true, but yeah. ultimately, you're right. Like it, it came down to the wire where like oh, he's just another like german nazi bastard like the rest of them um but he yeah. doesn't get what he wants right? which and i enjoyed that turn i would not have liked i mean maybe i could handle a little bit of depth in this movie but <laughs> like if he was just a good guy all the way through i'd feel a little bit bad for him but i like that you don't have to no no no, no. like you know at the end of the day he's still a nazi and i think you know tarantino wanted to commit to that he wanted to commit to this idea that once you're a nazi you're a nazi and he yeah he's overly expressive about that and the way he has aldo and his boys carving swastikas on their foreheads yeah because like they're ridiculously cruel to the nazis and i think like you know another movie would try to put emotional depth and like show that they're good people he does, nah. and that's great because that allows you to unashamedly support Brad Pitt's characters being ridiculous. Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, he doesn't sympathize so, with Nazism. That, that's the point yeah. of it, I guess. That's so good. <laughs> but, I mean, in this scene, um, do we want to talk about, like, yeah, the strudel scene? Yes, I think let's funny. talk about the strudel scene. I, I just love it when Hans Lander, like, shows up in the, in the back. Um, it's, uh, it's like a doof. It's like a doof, but, but it's a, it starts off with 
um, Gobo is reacting. He's like, ah, Hans Landa, Kodo Hans Landa. And then it's mm. like, doof, doof, and it's like a heartbeat type of like soundtrack. Like, doof, 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 and it's like building and it's so intense and you can feel it. It's like, oh, yeah. And then it goes in, it like Damn. zooms into her and then she thinks about this, that moment in the beginning of the film and then comes right back. Every scene that he's in is ridiculously high tense, mm. um, high tension. And, like, you know, it's great. Because, again, he's playing it off in such a, like, fun way. One funny thing that I read about, I don't know how true this is or how intended it was, but apparently um, cream has, like, pig fat in it in some degrees. So it, like, a Jew would not be able to eat it. And so the fact that he's, like, drawing so much attention to the cream and forcing her to eat the cream. Oh, wow. I never thought about that. Yeah. I didn't either. I had to read about it afterwards. And I don't even know if that was intended. Is that true? Does (laughs) does cream have pig fat in it? I thought cream is just cow milk. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I just read that. Like, I should look that up. Mm. Does. I I mean, unless, Um, like, cream back in those days was, was, like, had a product or had an ingredient of pig's fat in it maybe i don't know yeah well anyway that was just something i read but like whether or not it's true it doesn't really matter because it's like he he doesn't actually have any sinister facial expressions or anything sinister about him it's like he's just genuinely being like you could ignore that point that i just made and think that he's just trying to play this completely like oh i'm just professional i'm head of security i want to learn some stuff and like the scene is probably even better for it Actually. Yeah, but you know, my takeaway from this is that, like, he he knows deep down inside that that's Shoshana, but he's going to do everything in his power to let her know that he knows who she is. But really, you think that? But but still, play it off as if like he doesn't know. Well, then the cr- my cream theory makes more sense with your theory. Mm. Like those two together work. Yeah, yeah I, I I think he 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 knows the entire time. Oh, I really? So, okay, yeah. I kind of assumed he didn't, mainly because he never does anything about it. Do you know what's a moment in their dialogue where it kind of gives it away? Is when, I mean, like, it, all, all the kind of actions, all the kind of mannerisms that he has around her, the way he behaves around her, just points, yeah. it sort of indicates that he knows that it's Sorshana. But the thing that really pointed it out for me was when he says, there is one thing that I wanted to mention. And then it has a pause. Tarantino does this so well. Mm. He pauses it and it slowly yeah. zooms into him. And she's freaking, she's freaking out. out right? And he's got this dead face stare, right? Dead yeah. face stare. And then, and then he goes, actually, you know, I can't, re- for the life of me, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot it. Right? Yeah. So, so that was and the he, giveaway moment for me. I was like, dude, he knows it's Shoshana. And he's got a, he's plotting well, he a plan. Order, <laughs> he orders her a milk. Yeah. <laughs> right. right? Like, oh man, yeah, that, that milk thing. Oh gosh, man, that got me so much. So, the milk, the cream, that question, maybe the theory holds. Yeah, true. I think so. I think he's like, no, and it's short shot the whole time. Like, especially with that milk thing, man. That milk thing got me, man. This was just such great Tarantino writing, man. He was like, yeah, he's like, oh, I'll get a what do you say? I'll get a double espresso or whatever. And he's like, and yeah. for my guest here, a glass of milk. And her reaction, she was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah and like it's kind of funny like it doesn't feel okay so it feels tense but it doesn't feel nearly as tense as the uh no yeah you're right with that yeah like it doesn't feel as tense as the first scene which i think is good 
because you don't. Re- oh, it's not meant to. It's not meant to, and you don't really want to elevate it to that. But it does remind us of how intense he can make the scene. But the thing that is crazy though is that as soon as he leaves, she's like, she essentially hypersexualizes, yeah. right? Like she starts, <laughs> and that to me put into perspective, like it kind of raised the tension of a scene that had already played out just by her reaction to it. That's right. Yeah. 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 I, I actually brilliant. really like and, that. And then the last thing that he does before he leaves, do you remember? He no. Oh, he puts the puts cigarette, cigarette in, in the... What, is that just him being a prick? I, I think that's just the, him the showing disrespect. Right? Yeah. Because he, he, he spent that whole time talking up the apple strudel. He spent that whole time like saying like how how amazing it is, the best apple strudel ever, and you have to have it with cream. No, he, he always says it's average. Oh, he right. Yeah, sorry, yeah, he does. He says it's not bad. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, never mind what I just said. Then. Um, but then, but like, he was so adamant for them to have it with cream because you must have it with cream. Yeah, and he doesn't true. even he doesn't even finish like half of it. He has like two bites. Yeah, and then he puts a cigarette in, in the apple strudel, which I think is just a sign of disrespect. Way of saying, yeah. I hate you and f you. You know, <laughs> to her or to the. I think to that's the... what he's saying to her. Like it's sort of like a visual um, representation of how he really feels and. You know, I'm I've been plotting something against you, and you haven't, you don't, you don't know what's coming, kind of thing. Oh, what? <laughs> Hello. Oh. Oh no. Hello. <clears throat> Man, you froze for a long time, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you got to tr- put a marker here. I, I did put a marker. Are you? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I'm good now. I'm good. Wow, these technical issues. We are back Burn. again. But maybe that's a good time to transition into chapter four. How about that? Chapter best chapter. Chapter four. Are we chapter four? We are. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Chapter four. Operation Kino. In the meantime, the British have also learned of the Nazi leadership's plan to attend the premiere and dispatch a British officer, Lieutenant Archie Hickox played by Marco Fassbender, to Paris to lead an attack on the cinema with the aid of the Bastards and a German double agent, an actress by the name of Bridget von Hammersmark, played by Diane Kruger, uh, the brain behind the operation. Hammersmark arranges to meet Hickox and the Bastards in the basement of a French tavern. Unbeknown to her, However, the night of the rendezvous is also the occasion of German staff sergeant celebrating the birth of his son with his soldier comrades. One of the German soldiers presents strikes, uh, uh, presents, <laughs> strikes up a conversation with Hickox and notices that his accent is odd. An SS officer, Major Diet Halstrom, who was in the tavern as well, also notices the odd accent. When Hickox gives the three, the wrong three fingers. Three-fingered order. That sounds awful. Like wrong three-fingered order <laughs> for whiskies without using his thumb, a traditional German gesture. The SS officer confirms the suspicion that they are not German officers. A firefight breaks out in the, in which the British officer of the two of the bastards are killed, as is everyone in the tavern except for for Wilhelm. Uh, Hammersmark survives but is wounded in her left leg. Aldo Rain, played by Brad Pitt, the commanding officer of the Bastards, interrogates Hammersmark and decides to continue the operation against the cinema under the guise of the Italian uh, of the Italians as suicide bombers. Okay, lots to break down here. Operation Kino. We're in the bar. 
what are your mm. what are your thoughts and what do you want to talk about in this bar scene? I mean, it's a great scene. It's, it's arguably my favorite one. So in my mind, one, uh, four, five, and one are like sort of in the running for best scenes, oh, right? It's a lot, a lot of chapters there. And <laughs> I know, right? I know. Um, maybe it's this one. Like, it, like again. It's, it's got a comedic element to it, but there's a lot of tension here, and you're, like, really feeling for the characters. It kind of goes the same way as the first one. I think it's kind of, like, you know when they're... Um, actually, no, let me go back to the start. When he's talking to Mike Myers, I actually found that took me out of the movie a little bit. Like, seeing such an obvious Mike Myers, like, oh, good lad, how, you know, fetch yourself a drink, son. And all that kind of stuff. Like that scene to me was like a little bit, Oh, I'm watching a movie again. But then when they go and they, you've got like um, Brad Pitt talking about like how basements are terrible. That is like some classic Quentin Tarantino writing, which I did enjoy. And like, you know, when he talks to Stiglitz and he's like, you know, um, you know, you're very, very uh, good at killing or whatever it is. But you know, when we go into that room, if nothing happens, um, I need you to be calm. And he's like, do I not look calm? <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, I guess you look calm. <laughs> yeah, he said something along the lines of, uh, um, I don't suspect us running into any, what is it? Um, like any danger? Yeah, like danger. Or or, yeah, confrontation or something like that. Yeah. But if there is, I want you to yeah. be calm. And he's like, do I not look calm? <laughs> he's like, I, I suppose you do. <laughs> and then he comes back. And what did he say to, like, Brad Pitt? It's like, your friend there is not very, like, loquacious. Loquacious type. Loquacious. And, and, and Brad Pitt says, like, is that what you need? A loquacious type? It's a good dialogue. And, and it, fits, it fits in with this whole sort of satirical feeling of the movie um, yeah. where they would never have spoken like this during that time. No way. Like, this is just all made-up BS, but it's fun, fictional, and I'm eating every moment of it, you know? It's just, it's great. And, and I think the other thing is um, um, when, he, when he says, like, you know, like, there, are, there are all sorts of things wrong with, um, with fighting in a basement. First, you're in a fucking basement. <laughs> and, then, and then second, I can't remember what he said in a second. I just kept cracking up at, like, him saying you were in a basement. <laughs> It's like, yeah, like they're just shitting on the fact that it's a basement. But, okay, let's talk about the actual scene in the bar itself. I know you love this scene, right? Like, you've talked about this a few times in the past. Mm -hmm, yeah. Wait, what are your thoughts? Oh, man. No, oh, you love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to chew on some uh, caramelized cashew nuts. Um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, man, this scene. Where to start? Um, hmm. I yeah, I love every moment. Of it. The, the thing I didn't actually pick up on was the fact that his accent was going to be the reason he gets caught out. Um, Are you, like, the first time you saw it or this time? The first time I saw it. I didn't yeah. think that it was his accent that was going to give out. But then it makes sense. The more I see this film, I'm like, yeah, he sounds so different compared to the other Germans. <laughs> oh, see, I can't tell. Like, really? I was just, like, listening, like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I didn't really pay attention. Like, I, I, I didn't think like, oh, that's so surprising. I'm just like, oh, that's cool. It's a cool plot line. Yeah, I mean, like, if you if you go back and watch it again, he sounds really different compared to the other Germans. He does sound like mm. someone that's just learned German and he's not originally German. 
Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. You can really sort of hear that kind of. Period. It's funny why he's the main one. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of it's, it's got this like this scene is like really good in the sense that like you know, um, she successfully navigates away from the group. Then the guy comes and um, asks for the autograph. Mm. And then the guy like successfully gets him to leave. Then the other soldier comes in, and then like he's like, "Your accent is weird." Then he like convinces him that he's from like Palu Palu Pubs or whatever Plitz it Palu. is. <laughs> Plitz Palu, yeah. And then like um, it's just a lot of like highs and lows of you think they're out of it, but then they're not. Then you think they're out of it, and they're not. And then like you know, it, it culminates in in what actually ends up happening, yeah. which is yeah, the yeah, shootout. Yeah, yeah. But- and and the thing about the scene also is um, like everybody contributes every like every bit that they need to like nobody mm. nobody is like kind of in the shadow like you some might think oh what but the other characters didn't get much lines it was like i don't think this scene needed those characters to have lines oh no like, for sure it not. just no, needed no. michael fassbender because he was the guy that was leading operation kino and he knows that mm. operation kino is going to be a big part of the plan is going to come from von hammersmark so when you look at this scene from the outside and how it contributes to the film you sort of think to yourself or, or actually, no, maybe a better way to think about this is, like, if I was to say, I'm going to write this scene for Inglorious Bastards of the movie, you'd probably think, why are we mm. having that? Why can't we just stick to, like, the plan of there's a film that's going to happen and we're going to blow up Nazis in the cinema? You're not thinking that there's going to be another sort of plot to take down the Nazis because there's two missions going on here, right? One mission is the is the one, is like the Bastards mission, and the other mission is yeah. um, Shoshana. Right, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You don't think and, it's going to be yeah. like two missions trying to achieve the same thing, <laughs> and both succeeding. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly, both succeeding, and so with this whole scene, it's one of those weird scenes where it it perfectly doesn't fit, but it perfectly does fit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, like that's the thing. Like it, it creates the hilarity of the next chapter. Like you don't have. Aldo Rain, like bastardizing Italy, <laughs> to, to sort of like you know, like it, this is true. It, you don't yeah, get yeah, those exactly. Scenes. You don't get any yeah. of that stuff if this doesn't happen, and it's perfect, exactly. It's perfect. But this scene by itself is already like you can make this a short film with no stakes beyond this and no stakes before oh, yeah. this, and it would still be like very engaging mm. viewing. Like it's a really entertaining, tense piece of cinema where you don't know what's going to happen. You know, ultimately the good guys technically lose. Yeah. But like it just like it's just layering on this tension, 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 tension until you get to a point where it kind of blows up, and mm. it's like it's perfect in a lot of ways. That's why it's like in the running for best scenes. I, I like how like, it sort of surprises you too. Like there's some turns that it takes, and you're mm. kind of like, oh, maybe it doesn't go south, or wait, or maybe it does go south. You know, like as the scene progresses, you're sort of thinking maybe it's going to work out fine, and the plan's going to go accordingly to like whatever it's supposed to, or it's going to go the way that Brad Pitt predicts it in a basement <laughs> yeah. it was actually kind of cool i didn't even notice this um until the second time i watched it well obviously i must have noticed it the first time but when he puts his three fingers up you see hellstrom like look at it like yeah, hard yeah, yeah. right and then you see him say you've given yourself away they don't explain what was yep. wrong until way until later von, von hammersmark hammersmark yeah. yeah and like it's kind of funny because like it would have been so much so easy for another film to have Hellstrom explain what was mm. wrong, and that would have just been like this hokey piece of cinema. Yeah, writing. kind of like a way of saying, "Hey, 
the audience is kind of dumb, so let's explain it to them. And I like the fact that Tarantino always respects the audience. You know, he respects yeah. the intelligence. No, but they, he does explain it to us, but he explains it to us in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Aldo yeah. wants to know because Aldo yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She explains it to exactly. Aldo. And we're the audience, so we see that. Yeah. But for Hellstrom to explain it to Fassbender would make no yeah. sense. There's no, no there's no point. It's like, um, yeah. like he, he's a German soldier and he doesn't need to explain himself when he does something. Um, yeah. And it's so crystal clear like the framing of this the camera the the use of camera work here is so important mm. for you to know he messed up with those three three fingers we might not know what it is but he messed up because clearly yeah. the german soldier is kind of like uh this is bad this is bad um so mm. yeah like the whole shootout thing is, is is so great i love how we don't normally like i think old tarantino would spend even a little bit longer in those kind of like gun face-off scenes you know where you have the gun underneath the table i think older yeah. tarantino might have spent a little bit longer but i think he wanted to be a bit more efficient with this and say yeah, let's yeah, just yeah. like shoot it out right now you know because we've done all this building up until this point because you're at a peak mm. right you don't want to like stay there at the peak for that mm. long going oh when are they going to yeah, do you don't want to hold like, it too long i don't think because he's got the guns to him, and then he's like, sh- like Hammersmith starts talking. He's like, "Shut up, slut!" Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as he says that, um, Fassbender's like, "Okay, yeah, yeah we're, done. we're done. We're done." He's like about yeah. this pickle. Um, he says, "I can't remember what he says," but then the first, the thing. Oh, he talks about like wasting good whiskey or something. Yeah, like that, yeah. He's like, blah, "Goddamn blah. good whiskey, whiskey." And then he says, "Like about this pickle," um, and then he turns to Hugo Stiglitz. And he, I think he says his name. Maybe he says his name for him to shoot him. He says something to him. And then Hugo Stiglitz says, um, say goodbye to your blah, 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 Nazi balls. <laughs> yeah. And then that's when the shootout begins. The shootout is crazy. Yes. I love how he doesn't – see, this is the other thing that I love about this Tarantino movie is that he doesn't go overboard with this particular scene, this shootout. Whereas I, I feel like yeah, old yeah, right. Tarantino would have just went for a long time with all the blood and go. Really? Because I, I feel like like Reservoir Dogs is a really good example of a shootout that takes like two seconds. Boom, True. boom, boom, boom. Everyone's yeah. down. I guess I'm just thinking about Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, it would be like um. Remember what's that? Have you seen that movie? Uh, God, I forget what it's called. It's got um, the guy from. The Nolan Batman. Who's Batman in those films? Christian Bale. Christopher Christian Bale. Um, and he does like gun kung fu. Oh yeah, I've seen that. It's called Equilibrium. That's, that's it. Called, You're thinking that's gonna happen. That's called <laughs> That's actually called Gun Carter. Duh. Oh yeah. <laughs> what I call it? Gun Kung Fu? Yeah. But that's, gun that's basically what it is. Gun like pistol yeah. gun kung fu or whatever. But it's called in the movie they call it Gun Carter. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I was imagining you're thinking like that's gonna happen. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe in another universe. Uh, uh, but yeah, man, like such a great scene. This, like, I could we could talk hours on individual chapters, but if there's nothing else yeah. we want to talk about this particular chapter, then we should probably move on to chapter five. Let's do, do it. it. Did that sound? Did you want to read this whole thing? Because I maybe feel we'll go chunks and then we'll chime in. <laughs> Let's start off with the. So you're gonna read it. You're gonna read each yeah. chunk. You read each chunk. Oof, like, yeah. Okay, like this. Okay. All Go right. on. Let's do Colonel it. Colonel Landa. Now a SD. Oh, sorry. The name of the chapter is Revenge of the Giant Face, which is such a weird <laughs> name for a chapter. I like Revenge of the Giant Face. What is this about? 
Now a SD officer is able to retrieve one of uh, Hammer's Mark's shoes from the scene of the firefight at the tavern and also an autographed napkin which Hammersmark signed for the Staff Sergeant's son. He approaches Hammersmark and Rain in the cinema lobby and is able to easily see through their disguises, as none, even Rain, can speak in any Italian or German. He questions Hammersmark alone, makes her makes her try the shoe on, uh, shoe he had retrieved from the tavern. He violently strangles her to death as a traitor and orders to arrest Rain and put him put in a truck along with Smithson Udovich. Now, let's talk about this for, for a brief second. We, yeah, we yeah, don't even sure. talk think, about yeah, the yeah. scene prior to this, which is um, we're at the kind of medical table and Hamasmark has like has her leg all kind of like... Oh yeah, that was in the previous scene. But yeah, what do you want to say yeah, about that? Yeah, it's in the previous scene. Um, I just like how this is the scene where the new plan, like this is kind of... I, I, yeah. I, I feel like this... Oh, uh, maybe it doesn't deserve a chapter, but um, the reason why I'm thinking it kind of deserves a chapter because now there's a new plan that they have to devise, and the plan is like super shit. He even says like, <laughs> "It's super shit." What else have we got? <laughs> right? Yeah, and she, yeah, she's like, "Oh, that could work." Yeah, it's good. And he's like, "No, nah, nah, shit. shit." What else have we got? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Can you speak any other languages other than English?" Or he's like, "I can speak Italian." <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that there's a third. He's like, you know, I'm the best, Donnie's Donnie's second best, best, and this guy's the third best. He's like, I don't speak yeah, Italian. It's like, yeah, yeah that's why I said you're third best. <laughs> <laughs> but the uh, funny thing about him saying I don't speak Italian, he's actually the one that pronounces his name better than the three of them. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, he looked the best, right? <laughs> that's why he says bravo. That's why he doesn't continue to question him. Or at least that's kind of like my theory around that. No, I think by then, like he knows, right? Like he, he's, of course he, he already knows. knows these guys. He knows these guys. Yeah. He knows. He knows who Aldo got- Aldo Rain is for sure. But he's never seen the guy. But I feel like it's funny because, like, the, in the scene, she says you can be Italian. Germans don't have a good sense of Italian. <laughs> and then Hans is like just riffing out perfect Italian. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, oh, buongiorno. Buongiorno. <laughs> Correcto. Wait, wait, wait. Like, one thing I want to say just before, like in that scene where they're putting a cast on her, um, like she says, there's one new, there's two new developments. One is that like it's changed, like the the screening has changed to a smaller cinema. And the second development yeah. is Adolf Hitler is attending the premiere. And then it, and it shows yeah. like Adolf Hitler talking about like how he wants to go to the premiere, blah, blah. And then it cuts to, Back to that scene, and Donnie Donowitz, the first thing he says is, fuck a duck. <laughs> that's yeah. like, and that's another thing, like what we were saying, what you were saying before is like, this dialogue ain't like 1940s dialogue, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like for some reason, the bastards are just like time travelers. Yeah, they're just a bunch of like 21st century that. dudes that travel back in time. But that, that's that's the fun thing about the bastards. Anyway, okay, so we're, so we're back at the scene in the, in the cinema. Um Mm-hmm. Getting introduced to the, like, these are my friends all the way from Italy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he's... <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> oh, Some of the best comedy God. in the entire this movie. Is, this is... Uh, oh, what does he say? Uh, this is... Oh, my God. What, what's Brad Pitt's name again? Oh, uh, yeah. This is Gorlami. Gorlami. This yeah. is um, Antonio Margarete. And this is uh, Dominic Di Coco. And when it gets to Antonio Margarete and Don... Dominic DeCoco, when they do the, 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 <laughs> they do the, the Italian gestures, oh my god, I couldn't stop laughing at this. Margarita. And then he's like, okay, so how do you say your name? He's like, Gorlami. He's like, 
huh? What again? Koilami. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. please again. And then he's, he whispers it to him. He's like, Koilami. <laughs> He's like, and you, Antonio, I can't And like the way he kept repeating it, and he looks so nervous when he's repeating it. And then I love, yeah, I love how, <laughs> I love how it cuts to like Von Hammersmark and and uh, Brad Pitt. Like their reaction is priceless when he keeps repeating Margarita. <laughs> Oh, oh it's the best! Oh my god, I couldn't stop laughing in the cinema. That I like, I think my whole cinema was just cracking up. Like, oh, that's how awesome. ridiculous! Yeah. It's it was. a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> There's a perfect scene. So then they say "Arrivederci," and then I love how Donnie Donald was like "Arrivederci." Walk <laughs> past. He says it like three times. Yeah, he's like "Arrivederci, Arrivederci, Arrivederci." arrivederci. <laughs> it's kind of like that. That yeah. last "Arrivederci" is like. We just messed up, and we <laughs> we totally. You reckon? I think so. I reckon they think they did amazing. Really? They feel like they did it great. No yeah. way. I mean, you can see it in like Brad Pitt's face as character. He's like, oh shit. No, nah, I. We messed up. I feel like Donnie and and uh, Dakota. I don't even know his real name. Um, they reckon they're fine. Like, why would they go sit down in the middle of all these Germans if they didn't think they were fine? Ah, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's because they're idiots. Yeah, I guess. I guess they're great. idiots. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. So we get it. We, they they go into the cinema, right? Um, let's. Uh, should, should we talk a little bit about the strangling scene where she gets strangled? Uh, it's I a mean, great scene, though. By the way, yeah. I mean, I didn't like it just because I like Thomas Mark, but like it's a good scene. It's a good scene. It's well acted. Like when she touches the shoe and you zoom in on his face, and he's like, "Yep." Like you know what it is. I know yeah. what it is. I love his nod. You know his nod is. is scary, man. He nods when she touches the shoe. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't expect him to just like jump at her and strangle her to death because that that isn't really in his character so yeah. far. True, but it shows he hates traitors, perhaps. But then he's a traitor. See, it's it's weird because he's right? a selfish dude, man. He only he's only in it for himself. Yeah, but he like why does he hate her so much? Where he's going to like show an animalistic side to him when he's kind of thinking about doing the Maybe same thing. Maybe it was thing. just a way to portray different stripes to his character. You know, there's other things that can surprise yeah. you about him. Because he is a he is kind of like a conniving, like, uh, silent killer, you know? Um, he doesn't want to be so obvious but, that he's, like, a sinister dude. But he, yeah. can show, he can show that he is, because he's behind closed doors. Maybe he's showing his true colors, right? But in front of everybody else, yeah. he doesn't quite do that. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, he, he's, he hasn't shown any instance of, like, being, like, that full of passion and mm. anger before. Mm. I don't we've know always, I don't really have a We've always seen him in amongst the public or in amongst people. We've never seen him one-on-one with somebody. That's yeah. true, actually. The only yeah. thing that we've seen him one-on-one is the opening scene, but that's just pure dialogue between the two characters. But he's so polite mm. in that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Like she, she Anything you want to say about that scene? No, not or? really. I mean, she dies. It's a cool scene. I mean, it's unfortunate yeah. for her character. She's like short-lived in the movie, but I think she... like She makes an impact. She oh, makes she makes a huge sure. impression. I think she's yeah. she's she's totally like worth it to have in the movie. And it's it's kind of interesting where like I was starting to get worried here because Hans Lander is so good. He's figured out the truth. He he gets like Aldo Ring kidnapped, and so at this point you're not sure what's going to happen, right? And like in in the pit of my stomach, I didn't want it to be a situation where one like I kind of assumed it'd be somewhat realistic, and so you know the plot shouldn't succeed. Yeah. 
So I was under the impression it wasn't going to succeed, and I was under the impression that Hans Lander's going to like spoil the whole yep. thing, right? And at this point, that's what you believe yeah. is happening. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. Um. So in the closing stages of the film, oh wait, is this? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. what you're up to. In the closing stages of the film, Lander reveals um, himself to a turncoat. He attempts to reach a deal with Rain's commanding officer via a two-way radio in which he res- he proposes to allow the assassination attempt against Hitler and the rest of the Nazi leadership to continue in return for safety, privileges, money, medals, and a house for himself. He also reveals that he had planted Rain's stick of dynamite in Hitler's box at the cinema. Um, which is cool. Yeah, which is, yeah. It shows he was in on it, like, kind of from the start. But one thing I did enjoy about this, this just one part, where he's like, oh, I would like a medal. You know what? I want everyone in Operation Kino to get a medal. And he, like, kind of nods at Brad Pitt, like, yeah, I've got you sorted. It's all right. Yeah. He's, he's, he's such an odd character. Like, he's hard to sort of pinpoint. Like, yeah. what side are you on? Like, uh, what are your real intentions here? And I love how, like, he has these very specific requests about what he's, his retirement's going to be. He wants to be on the, what, mm. what island do they say again? Nantucket, Nantucket Island, Island. Which I don't know if that's. Like, I think what Nantucket. That is. Uh, wait, is it? It's not in Canada, isn't it? I don't know. Sure. No, I, I guess it can't be because it's United States. <laughs> um, yeah, Nantucket Island. Like he has all these very, very specific requests because he he wants to like he wants to make sure that he comes out of his strong because he probably knows yeah, he, that the war is going to come to an end at some point. You know, he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he he's, he, he yeah. probably saw this coming a very, very long time ago. Whether it was from the bastards or whether it wasn't, right? Um. So, yeah, like, um, let's. I'm just gonna go to this part as well. Yeah, Zola. Zola, Zola, uncomfortable with the way he is portrayed, um, killing Americans in stalled donation and showing regret because of his deeds, leaves the cinema auditorium and makes his way to the projectionist's room where Shoshana is plan- planning her attack. Shoshana's assistant and lover, Marcel, is waiting behind the cinema screen, ready to set a light nitrate film reels which are highly combustible shoshana is unable to get rid of zola who angrily confronts shoshana about her behavior shoshana then tells zola that they don't have much time left and tells him to close the door leaving him stunned (laughs) he's sort of thinking at this point oh my god this is my moment (laughs) yeah he thinks like oh she's interested in me now because i've shown that i'm we're gonna we're gonna hotbox this uh prediction this room (laughs) yeah um Shoshana then tells Zola that, oh yeah, wait, sorry. Zola then fine, uh, finally complies and heads to close the door. Shoshana then draws her pistol from her purse and shoots him multiple times in the back, mortally wounding him. Afterwards, in an, in an apparent moment of pity, realizing that Zola is alive, she rolls him over and he in turn mortally wounds her as well and then kills her before he dies himself. What did you think about this like death scene between the two characters? Um, look, I thought it was really well done, to be honest. Like, again, it, it's kind of really interesting. These things kind of annoy me in normal films. Um, and that's just sort of me being a bit picky with things, I suppose. But, like, one, I, I like the fact that Zola was, like, uncomfortable with the way he's being portrayed. He wants to go hit on Shoshana again. Because, like, it's kind of pointing him as, like, oh, you know what? He's actually uncomfortable with it. He's not like the other German people. He's wanting to to be different and he really likes Shoshana then he goes up there and then you see him when he gets rejected like one more time he's like you can't say no to me I'm a freaking war hero you know he kind of shows his Mm. true colors um it's kind of like one of those scenes of I think if she just killed him and didn't die 
it would maybe be too much of like, oh yeah, the victims are heroes in this movie. Like, cause then everything they do just goes off without a hitch. I was happy that she kind of had a moment of weakness and that moment of weakness ended up being her undoing. But the thing that made me kind of happy about this was also she intended to die as part of this plan Mm -hmm. anyway. So it didn't feel that heartbreaking because her plan goes off without a hitch. She doesn't get to see it, but it yeah, happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're totally right about that. Like, it's also a little bit of a surprise, because I think this movie is full of surprises. It's full of a lot of twists and yeah. turns that you just don't expect. You, you don't, you kind of know where the film is trying to go. You just don't know what the ultimate outcome is, and you definitely don't know what kind of scenes are going to contribute to any of these outcomes. And I like the fact that this scene is a good representation of that style of directing that Tarantino does so well in this movie, where mm. it's like, these two characters are going to die but I never expected, and I'm pretty sure the rest of the, the audience didn't expect that these characters were going to die in here. You'd probably just expect, at the very least, that Zola was the one that's going to die. You know, the bad guy dies. Yeah. But I like the fact that the good person dies as well, but it's like a, it's a worthy death. Like, it's a respectful death. Yeah. Like, she, she. It's a defiant, it's a defiant death. Right? Yeah, exactly, like she, defiant. Like, she, yeah. she knew what he wanted, and she was willing to do whatever it takes to just accomplish what she really wanted to do which was not yeah. for the Nazis. And the thing that I liked about this was actually it, like a lot of films, and I think actually Tarantino does this a little bit. They'll introduce characters, they'll give them a little bit of story time, and then they just won't really finish off their arc. In this movie, pretty much everyone, I think, gets like a solid arc and yeah, finish. Like if so. Zola just died, like, ev- like let's say, for example, he's in the cinema, um, he sees her face show up, he then understands why she hates him and then he like burns to death or something. You know, I could see some other director going with that approach, but it would have felt a little bit empty. Yeah, true. Like the fact that yeah. he goes up there and has this like very intimate personal moment with Shoshana and that ends up being his death. I think was like kind of Yeah, perfect. yeah, that's that's actually a really um good way of seeing that. I n- I never thought about that. Like um his arc actually comes full circle. His whole point of the film, his whole purpose of the film was to be in a relationship with Shoshana um, as a very mm. true thing. Um, and when you dig believe, uh, beneath the layers of him, he's still that kind of Nazi German, which you see in his final moments before his death. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a good scene. I think it's a really good scene. Yeah, loved it. All right, so when the fourth reel... When the fourth reel of the film starts with Shoshana's speech to the Nazis assembled in the auditorium reveals that she is a Jew and that the audience is about to die. Marcel sets the nitrate film alight, thus causing a pandemonium in the auditorium. Meanwhile, Donnie and Omar, who had been seated amongst the Nazis in the auditorium, ambush Hitler's box and able to gun down Hitler, Goebbels, and the Nazi leaders. All right, I want to talk real quick about this um. <laughs> the scene between the two idiots, um, yeah. uh, Donowitz and Omar, or Antonio Margarete and uh, uh, Dominic Pico. Dominic Picoco? <laughs> <laughs> they should just have those names. It's the best. Um, I just yeah. love how like he goes out of the cinema, right? And he goes to just look for like what Hitler's doing, or whatever. And he finds. Actually, I don't even know if that's his intention of getting going out of the cinema. I think he wanted to. Well, he goes upstairs and looks around, so I guess Well, so. yeah, he goes, oh, yeah, looks around, sees that Hitler's, like, up on that floor or whatever. I love his reaction. He's kind of like a child, man. Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, cool. And then he goes back down, and he goes, <laughs> to Dominic de Coco, and he says, come here, come here, come here. And then he gets up, walks between all the 
Hitler Nazi uh, yeah. soldiers and he falls in between them. They're so clumsy. They're just it's such funny. <laughs> and then they go up and they prepare for their little thing. And he says, what do you, well, like, all right, so I, I'm going to do this. I need you to do this. Can you do it? He's like, I have to. And then, and then them preparing is just funny, like editing cuts, right? It's like them yeah. ruffling in the rubbish bin, him um, bringing up the like champagne glass. <laughs> uh, and then it all just leads to like, it's such a, I love these gun, these, these punch, punch guns, guns by the way. They're, They're cool. And the thing about this scene though, is that it's such a dumb scene and it shouldn't happen, but it's funny and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the scene that it, it shouldn't happen that way. Like, you know, Maybe it's also like an expression of how dumb these guys are. It's like, why did, why did, why did Donnie Donowitz just go up by himself, pretending to be a waiter to eventually just kill him, and then wait for his teammate, <laughs> Dominic the Cooker, to just run, <laughs> run around, run around, the, around corner. the corner? I mean, <laughs> it's a great plan. It works out great. They've got one punch. I don't understand why he doesn't have two punch guns. Like he just go boom, boom. I know, I, but th- but that's it. Like the more you pick up pick apart the scene, the more ridiculous and how stupid it is. But it's, but a, it's cool a cool scene. scene. When yeah. you see DeCoco yeah. running, and then he's like punches the guy in the in the in and the, the song is like dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and it's so seconds. So up until maybe about now-ish, I was still under the impression that it was gonna be somewhat um accurate to history. <laughs> like <laughs> Because I don't actually, I don't know what happened. I just know that Hitler killed himself um, in a bunker somewhere, right? So I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, maybe this is still like kind of vaguely true. (laughs) Um, And so Hitler gets away. And then in the next scene, uh, I don't know if we've talked about it yet. No, yeah, we're we're, we're up to that where they bust through the doors. Um, And this is all culminating to like the nitrate, like sort of uh, engulfing in flames and... Um, and all that type of stuff, and like they bust through, they just gun them down. First of all, like they gun down. It's a crazy scene. It is an insane scene. Like they they shoot down like Goebbels and and Hitler first, and then they go to the crowd and they just like mass shoot everybody in the crowd. It's wild, and it's so cathartic. Like he's fishing a barrel. These are innocent people. And we okay. Well, like they're not innocent, innocent, but like these. We haven't seen these people do anything bad, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But they're getting gunned down from the <laughs> top. And you see him like bang, 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 bang. Reloading. <laughs> Reload. He reloads like four he times. Does, yeah. And I'm just into it. And did you catch that scene where he like turns around and shoots Hitler like a couple more times? And Hitler turns into like a Yeah, of course. Man. He turns into like <laughs> some kind of like like shitty kind of prop. Like it's almost deliberate that it looks fake. <laughs> It's so <laughs> hilarious. Like he becomes like a player like, like he becomes like like mince. Exactly, mince. exactly. Like his skin is just flying everywhere, kind of thing. And it's just, I love it. It's fun. It's stupid, it. but it's great. It's like the perfect kind of. Because up until then, I thought it was still gonna like sort of work out a little bit serious, but it just becomes like, yeah, you know, no, what? they're committing to it. Goes on fire. They're gonna kill Hitler, and they just murder a bunch of people. It's great when like. Donnie, like they've got these dynamites to their ankles. They don't give a shit, yeah, right? Nah. Like they don't care. Yeah. They're here to do a suicide bomb to murder yeah. Hitler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They have no desire of self-preservation. No, no. It's fantastic. But they also took off the um they took off their their dynamites, didn't they? No, they don't. Like it zooms oh, in on the yeah, dynamite right, on yeah. their ankles what as was it the blows dynamite up. That, that fell on the ground. Was that that was, was that, um, um Aldo's dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so that you're yeah, like that one 
that's the one that that the camera zooms in and then explodes, and then you just have to assume that obviously the other dynamite just detonated as well. Yeah, it's it's yeah yeah yeah, but it's that's so great. good. I love it's that. So good, and that's the. In- do you have any thoughts about that whole thing? I've, I've talked a lot about it. Um, like, about it. I mean, not really. It's just it's just a fun, re- super ridiculous and super ludicrous scene, and I just love yeah. the commitment behind it, the sheer commitment. You know, we've seen pretty much two and a bit hours of this film already, which we don't even know because the movie flies, and mm. um, the whole movie is ridiculous, but great writing, great great character dialogue and um, really good scenes that are put together. The chapters are very, very seamless um, and everything is sort of like Jenga perfect, right? Up until this point. And you know, it's leading to something ridiculous because we've already had evidence of, of the ridiculousness um, before that, you know, like the shootouts and mm. in, in the, in the underground in the basement, um, like just the ridiculous nature of the bastards even before that, like they're not the brightest people <laughs> in the room, but they've got heart they've got they're so good at what they they do and they don't give a shit and and tarantino just fully commits to this and he sends it home like it's nothing and i just love it it's the perfect ending and i didn't expect it to end that way when i first saw i just expected it like okay maybe they kill hitler and that's about it i didn't expect it to be like really oh i didn't i really didn't expect him to kill hitler up until like literally when he dies Mm, yeah (laughs) Yeah, I just kind of thought, oh, you know what? Like, they would never kill Hitler. It's not, it's not realistic. They're not going to tell a story like that. Yeah. But then he just like murders the crap out of. Oh that man, it's, it's it's so inaccurate, but great. <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, <laughs> I've I've come across people that have seen this movie that don't know much of like the World War Two history, and they were like, "Is that how Hitler died?" I was like, "No, <laughs> not how Hitler died. <laughs> that is that is far from how Hitler died. Hitler committed suicide." Because he probably already knew at that point that he was going to lose the war. So that's part of the theory yeah. why he committed suicide. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Like You wouldn't do that if you're winning. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a safe bet. It's a, it's a strong theory. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I just – no, it's just, like, a fun, over-the-top thing. Again, it makes you feel great. Because, like, like, the thing is, up until – not up until this point, like, I just keep thinking, oh, the plan's going to fail, the plan's going to fail. But both plans to come out without a hitch yep. – at this point of the movie, after everything that's happened mm-hmm. so far, it's just really cathartic. Exactly. Like, you just feel great watching Absolutely, that. absolutely. And so I'm just going to finish off this last part, and then we'll finish off that recap. Um, as the cinema yeah. is engulfed in flames, Reigns um, earlier locked and barred the auditorium doors. Additionally, the dynamite that was strapped to the bastard's legs goes off. Oh, do we actually have to talk about this like big paragraph? Because I think you can go straight to Lander sets yeah. off. Um. Yeah, <laughs> Landis sets off uh, rain towards the American lines in Normandy, where he attends, intends to turn himself in as part of the deal he made with Rain's commanding officer. He surrenders to Rain and hands over his gun. Rain orders Landa to be handcuffed and shoots Landa's driver. The film ends with Rain with Rain carving a swastika into Landa's forehead and declaring that it may just be his greatest masterpiece. The yeah. end. What a perfect way to end the movie because this was a clearly a meta piece of writing from Tarantino. Yeah, like it. I, I think you've mentioned that before, where you think it's like quite meta. Yeah, in how he says it's a masterpiece because it's actually his masterpiece, yeah. right? I mean, like it's it. It seems so obvious and deliberate. Like, why else would he put it in? Because like, and, and it makes sense. Like he he'd been working on this movie for ten years, right? 
Yeah, 98, 09, 11, right? And, like, it's hard to argue. Like, funnily enough, like, I came into this Legacy series thinking, you know, uh, Reservoir Dogs is my favourite. It's going to stay my favourite. And I still haven't made that choice yet, but, like, you see the growth of him as a director up until this moment where, Mm. you know, he's taking all these short stories, but he's making it mean something. He's having all these, like, tense... Like, think about scene one... um, or the bar scene, or the conversation with Shoshana, and you sort of put that up against any of the tense scenes in Reservoir Dogs. Like, you can see where he's picking that up from and, and how it's, like, sort of carrying through. Like, it's, like, the best parts of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs kind of put together in mm, a way. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, man, it's just, like, I, I honestly, I, I wanted to try and find things that were wrong with this movie, but I, I really couldn't find it. I really couldn't find it. If, mm. if if there was like anything to nitpick over, there may be like five minutes or something, or maybe even three minutes you could shave here and there. But I don't know what that would be. You know, um, I think at that point you, it would require like microscopic experience from someone like Steven Spielberg, who's you know one of the greatest directors ever, to go. Yeah, mm. this is where he could have shaved it off. I I, I feel like my my observations, as yeah. just a person who loved film, I can't find really anything bad in this movie. <laughs> Everything is just, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, like there's, there's no scenes that I think are wasted. There's nothing that um, you dislike watching. And the, the cool thing is it's just, it, it's it's fun, right? Like, you know, Reservoir Dogs is like, it, it stays with you for a mm. long time. It's not really a fun no, watch. No. It's uh, <laughs> like it's a powerful. You watch. can kind of rewatch it, like oh, it's, it's rewatchable because it's like it's quick and but it's, it's not like a and it's entertaining. It's not like a um, Pirates of the Caribbean rewatchable movie where you could watch it like all the time. Yeah, it's, it's not like like yeah, exactly. It's not it's not fun and and like like you know a lot of like hardcore film critics like like Hecox for example would probably like lambast us for saying this that like you want something that's like quite fun, but sometimes you kind of do. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. And arguably yeah. like, you know, some of the more enjoyable watches um, and the rewatchable films are the ones that just have a tremendous amount of fun in it. Like I, I always like using Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl as an example. Like that's just a, oh, yeah, that's just a yeah. fun movie, man. Like you can watch, oh, it's a great you can watch movie. that all the time. And like the, yeah. the lines are very quotable. Um, mm. Weirdly enough, I don't know if I think I might have mentioned this before, but weirdly enough, I know every single line in, for Jack Sparrow in that movie. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. I feel like you would have wanted to like sort of play that. <laughs> no, it was, it was weird. <laughs> I don't know why. I know for some reason his script was just easy to memorize. I don't know why. Yeah, you've seen it. Multiple I've seen times, it a lot of times, like multiple. Yeah, I've multiple. seen it a lot of times. Yeah, but but I haven't seen it a ridiculous amount of times where someone could be like, he's seen it so much that he would remember all the lines. Not that amount of times, you know. Like yeah. I've seen it enough times to kind of go, yeah. You're just calling him Simple Jack at this point, right? Pretty much, <laughs> man. Like it's like every time that movie plays, man, uh, I'm just reciting the lines on beat as well. <laughs> damn. All right. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I mean, you could do that without her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I could do that without a yeah. Um, we're at the end of this. So, what are your at the thoughts? End of this, two hours yeah, yeah. in. I know what you're gonna do. Or how, how long has this been? Though there has been technical we have difficulties, had technical so, difficulties, so there will be cut out. We can shave off about ten minutes. Shave here. off something like that, like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> we're at the two hour mark, and I'm happy that we got to finally do this. And um, um, who's gonna say they're out of ten score for us? 
Yeah. Well, you're going to say 10, right? I want you to say, uh, like, oh, t- you tell me your score first, and then I'll say mine. What did I give? <laughs> I need to oh, let, let me, uh, let me have a quick look on uh, Insta. I can go back. I can go back. Wait, Pulp Fiction, what did I do? Pulp Fiction, I did... Oh, you didn't put the rating oh. down. No. Oh, you bastard. Reservoir Dogs, what did you... What did I put down? I put a 10. You said 8.5. Oh, you gave okay. Reservoir... I thought we gave Reservoir 9. No, 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 no. I, I love Reservoir mm. Dogs. But... It's hard to say that this is worse than that. I am willing to give it a 10, actually. Wow. I'm actually willing to do that. Like, it's... This is Tony Ook, ladies and gentlemen, giving two 10. I give 10. <laughs> I give 10. Because the thing is, like... This is the only, like, second 10 you've ever given, though. I think so. Because, like, it, it feels like a series of short stories, but they all lead to something, and each one of them by themselves mm. entertaining. It's a really rare thing. It's a really special That's thing. Right. Um, there is no scene wasted. And it just makes perfect sense. Like, for me, I always, like, harp on about does the storyline make sense, does it not? Why would this character do this? Every character has super clear motivation, super clear actions, and they all make sense. I, I love it. Nice. Nice. Great. 10 out of 10. If you give it a 9.5, <laughs> I'll be... <laughs> oh, I'm going to give it. I changed my mind. I give this an 8 out of 10. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, what the hell, dude? You're like, you know what I realized? It's actually number three for me. It's, uh, I love Pulp Fiction. Exactly. Um, no, man, this is a clear 10 for me, man. When I left the cinema, when I first watched this, I'm like, damn. Like, yeah. he ended this movie in better words than I could think of. This might be my masterpiece. What a great way to end it. Yeah. Like, That's true, and, actually, and yeah. The- it's pretty meta. It's pretty me- like it's super meta, but it's also like the balls to do that. Like he he knew deep down inside that he made the best movie he'd ever made. Imagine like at Death Proof at the end, like, <laughs> Zoe Bell's like, "This might be my masterpiece." <laughs> We're like, "Holy shit, that's on record forever!" <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, good on him, man. Good on him. He deserves all the accolades and and I'm, I'm not even like like i'm not even bummed at the fact that he never got any awards for this like who cares about those awards what do you mean christoph waltz best supporting actor didn't he get an oscar for that what for this no yeah. did he i thought he got a i think he did oh okay Inglorious Bastards uh, awards i'm pretty sure best supporting actor oh you might be right actually cuz i know he did win an oscar yeah. yeah, 2010 Academy Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Oh, wow. Christopher Waltz. What else did um, Glorious Busters win that year? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from from, from a, um, a Oscars perspective, I'm pretty sure they got nominated eight times, but won one. one. Right. Best Picture. Who did he lose to? Yeah, like Who there's no way that the Academy's going to give this pic- Best Picture. Why not? I, I feel like that's... That's not um, what the Academy is about. <laughs> they give it to movies like freaking Mystic River and... <laughs> and like... You seem like the kind of dude that would love like an Academy... Actually, no, no, you're not. You're not, you're not super deep into the... Uh, really. The Oscar no, grabs. No. I, I, I Academy Award 2010. Uh, I used to be all about the Oscars like a long, long time ago, but I just don't care about them anymore. I think it's just... 
Hurt Locker, got it. Oh, that yeah. is totally That's an Oscar awesome. grab. Oh my god, I'm going to the actual film. No, nah, I want to see the Wikipedia. Yeah. Okay, so let me see this. Hurt Locker, the blind side, blind side yeah. didn't win. I thought Blind Side won. Mm. With Sandra Bullock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought that won something. Okay. Oh no, she won Best Actress. Okay. Best Actor was Jeff Bridges in Crazy. Crazy, Crazy Heart. Heart. Yeah, the cowboy movie. Is that a good film? Or, I mean, I think I'm just saying cowboy movie because he's wearing a cowboy hat on the cover. <laughs> you know what? Um, th- there is no Inglorious Bastard person in Best Actor. There isn't a Inglorious Bastard as Best Actress. Like, not even nominated. Mm. Christoph Waltz did win Best Supporting Actor. And to be fair, he's the one who probably does the vast majority of... Like, it's hard to even say who the best it's actor hard, is. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't really give a... Christopher Waltz is... He's kind of like the main actor, though. Yeah, he's kind of the mm. main character. Unless you want to say Brad Pitt is, which Not is, like, really. kind of rough. I don't know who the best actor... Uh, the, I mean, there's probably, like, a main actress, you know, which would be Shoshana, I'd imagine. Mm. Uh, she's not even in it that much, though. Like, Yeah. She's in it as much as uh, Hammersmark is, right? Is she? I don't know. That's a hard one. Oh, look. It wasn't included as best foreign language film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, it, it got it got nominated for a few things. Right. Best sound editing, Hurt Locker won right. instead of Glorious Bastards. Best sound mixing, Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker swept mm. it. Best picture. Uh, best sound editing, best sound there mixing. Avatar was up that oh, year. Oh, yeah, that's right. Avatar came out in 2009. Yeah. So between Hurt Locker, Avatar, Blindside, Inglorious Bastards, and you know what's actually interesting? Uh, District 9, one of my one of my favorite, not my favorite, no. I like Neil it. Blomkamp. Um, yeah, that came out that year as yeah. well. Man, yeah. Inglorious Bastards shits on all those movies. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Hurt Locker. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say I, that. I, I haven't I can't I speak seen Hurt Locker it. either, so I shouldn't really say that. But, like, whatever, I stand by it. Inglorious Bastards is that good. You'd have to be damn good to be in Glorious Bastards. <laughs> mm. um, man, okay. Well, we should bring this review and recap to an end. Thank you to the listener that has spent this long with us, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. <laughs> um, let us know in the comments or let us know in the DMs if you thought otherwise, if you thought this movie was absolutely shit. We'd love to hear what you have to say to prove us wrong. Um, because we're, we're open-minded like that. You know, we'd love to hear other people's perspectives. Movies are... Yeah, I'm super agreeable. <laughs> <laughs> Movies, at the end of the day, are very preferential. You know, there are some objective yeah. things that you can probably try and structure in order for you to say, this is a good movie for X, Y, Z, objectively. Those are really, really hard things to do. But ultimately, movies are very, very preferential. Yeah, you know, entertainment is, is subjective. Yeah. I agree, opinion. I agree. Entertainment yeah. is very, very yeah. subjective. You can have some strong arguments for your own position on what you think is good and what you think is bad, absolutely. But this mm. is what we do on the podcast. We're here to discuss, we're here to share thoughts and see if we can find ways to like come to a good, comfortable conclusion to what we think is good or what we think is bad. And we're all making it up. <laughs> Perfect script. Yeah. Um, with that being uh, said, we'll bring this to a close. And uh, we hope to catch you in the next Tarantino movie, which is going to be, I believe, Hateful Eight. I actually can't remember. Uh, no, no, uh, no, it's going to be Django, Django surely. Yeah. Is it Django? So, yeah. Man. Wait, do we want to do it out of order? Because, like, 
putting a hateful eight than a Django than a Once Upon a Time is gonna like do a nice spread of shit to good. <laughs> okay, this, this is in your mind. Okay, <laughs> I haven't seen Hateful Eight, but I've heard. I've, I, yeah, I've seen it and I didn't like it the first time. But you know, this, this yeah. is new us. You know, this is 2023 versions of ourselves. We're slightly older, slightly wiser, maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I haven't seen the I haven't seen it the first time, so I didn't even have oh, a first okay. impression. Well, I guess you'll hear it. I just know that um, I really like Django. Mm. Like, if this is a ten. Don't be shocked if Django yeah. gets a 10. When was the last time you saw Django? Yeah. Ah, oh, it's got to be a couple of years. But, like, like for example, Inglorious Bastards I've seen once, now mm-hmm. twice. Django I've seen, like, Oh, okay. So, so that movie's far more vivid in your mind before last night. Yeah, well, Django, no, you mean. Before, before, like, Inglorious Bastards last night. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, Django I remember much more vividly. I just, um... I don't know. I was like gravitated towards it. I think I like the, I like the Western setting. I like the tale of revenge. Like the things that I love about Inglorious Bastards about how, um, it's like the victim being victorious and and shifting in history. Yeah. Django does that, but even more vividly. Right. And you just get a much more cathartic feeling of like, oh yeah, we're gonna. It's like John Wick esque. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well, um, yeah, we got yeah. Django straight after this, so I'm excited to review that again because I I didn't have the best imp- impression of that movie when I first saw it. Yeah, but, oh, the, but I only seen it once. And I saw it at the cinema. It was a very very long time ago, so I'm really open to seeing it change my mind. Um, yeah, and uh, we'll bring this to end, and uh, we'll see you again, Tony. And thank you, listener. Catch you guys soon. <laughs>